welcome to episode 231 of the Overlook Hour. I'm your host, Clark Little. Along with me, as always, is the man who is filling in for Randy Michael Stant. <laughs> Just for this special little intro, it's Russell. <laughs> I was fucking confused. I was, I didn't know you were talking about me. Why? Why am I who filling was, in for Randy? Because he's not here. Because he had to go, uh, uh, can we do a hard out today? Oh, um, yeah. I, I got to yeah. watch an uh, online movie at 3 o'clock. I forgot we do this over Zencaster normally. Yeah. So Randy had to cut out because we had a hard out because Randy is knee deep in the Sundance Film Festival. So now we got Russell. <laughs> a year ago, I took over for Randy. I don't think about it as subbing in anymore. <sighs> I know. <laughs> Russell John coming in with the truth bombs. Yep. Also coming in with maybe some truth bombs of her own is Oksana Valeria Osachi. Hi. Oksana, how are you today? I'm good. Oksana, now look, we you've been in the room, you're running you're running the, the monitor for us so that we can have a good point of reference. And I'll say this, I think it's doing great. Russ, you you like this new move? You like the new setup? I just like having content on YouTube again that isn't put up by Nilo. So that's a shout out. Who was that? Who's also resurfaced on Instagram recently? Yes. If you're an old school uh, Overlook Hour follower, you, you can find of, him. A lot of exposed body hair. He just uh, also recently compared himself to a, one of the Pokemons. Okay. <laughs> I call them Pokemon, and it drives Russell crazy. Pokemon? Oh, that's yeah. good. Oh, idiots! <laughs> Shut up! I'll turn both your mics off. <laughs> Uh, but Oksana, you, you, you're in with, you're in the intros with us now. So normally this is where you have two to maybe three hours uh, where you're alone <laughs> and you, you know, you, you maybe get some grocery shopping done or you drink uh, copious amounts of wine and you're drunk by the time you come up here. So now that you, you now that this has changed your Sunday routine, are you trying to, you know, you're getting your, your feet settled? Is that a sentence <laughs> that anyone has ever said? It's a sentence, Are you getting but... your feet settled? <laughs> to be honest, there's a lot of phrases you say that I've never heard anyone say, so <laughs> it could be very well a thing people look, say. I, I, look, sometimes I come in here and I spin some Mississippi wisdoms. Okay. My favorite was when you came down today, when you woke up and you're like, my legs are cramping. And I'm like, that's called atrophy. And you agreed with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lactic acid fermentation. Yesterday, I did a lot of moving. As, you, <laughs> as we talked about, I was going to clean my room. And as you saw my room today, <laughs> not a whole lot of uh, uh, positive things. Man, my room's a mess. Also, you're dressed like you're going to go jogging. You had a beanie on and a sweatshirt. I don't know what the hell was happening. I'm going to tell you something right now. New leaf. <laughs> oh, now you're dressed like you're about to jump on a hog. Why? Because I got my bandana on? Yeah. It's a cool looking bandana though. Every girl's crazy about a new bandana. Every girl crazy about a bandana. All right. This week on the show, we have let me just say, I'm very excited for all of you to listen to this interview. I'm very excited for you to listen to every interview. But today, Jordan Graham, writer, director of a movie, a film that's coming out on Tuesday, uh, entitled Seder, which will be available on iTunes and Amazon for rental. He's been working on this film for nearly a decade, mm -hmm. and it's finally coming out, and Jordan uh, shares some things with us that sort of caught us off guard. Completely. And it's fantastic, and uh, this is a very personal project, and uh, Jordan has a very personal talk with us. And um, 
uh. Fantastic. What? You said and uh, like you're going to hate that when you listen back to it. I Man, let me tell you something. I do the and uh thing all the time. I, <laughs> I, need to I, go to, I need to go to speeching school. No. Oh, my God. I was listening speeching? to a podcast, and the dude had the worst tick. He was going, and things like that. Like, you know, I would get home and sit down and things like that. And then I would put on this movie and, you know, Netflix and things like that. And I was like, like vocalizing like, dude, stop. Because I like the show. But, that's what's up. But, oh, I love it. That's what's up. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. We should plug that, too. Well, things like that. I mean, that's also like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's the I same know. thing. I had a teacher who would say sort of oh, in sort between. Of. He would say it four times in one sentence. You know, when it's just like a, a pause and you're trying to get your brain to catch up. That's not that bad. The thing I don't like that I do is that, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I feel like that's like a bargaining tool and it's cheap. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're trying, you're like, it's almost like forcing somebody to agree with you. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's another one. That's, that's one your mom called you out on. She did. <laughs> and it is, it has broken me to my right core. When somebody acknowledges it, you're kind of like, oh God. No, no. The jig is on. <laughs> I've been, I've been. I've been taken. But did we did we uh, plug the Kush show? I don't think we did. We were back on Bosnet. I was going to let Oksana do that. She handles all of our oh, my bad. Yeah, things. I'll well, shut my mic off. Well, thank you for reminding me. <laughs> I did not write that down. I did share it on Twitter. Um, Russell and Clark guest starred, I guess, on the 50th episode of the Microsoft. Let me tell you something. We don't guest on anything. We star. <laughs> thank so they, you very much. Hostily took over the 50th yeah. episode of Microdose with Kush and Robin. <laughs> um, you can find it on Twitter. I'll share it again because I'm not 100%. There's so many podcasts that Kush does that. Um, yeah. Great plug. <laughs> <laughs> I will find it and I will share it again. All right. So, uh, what films are coming out this week that you can tell us about? Maybe in more detail about rather than uh, the appearance that we were just on that you provided no information <laughs> that were helpful to anyone who wanted to listen. How would you contextualize that show that we were on? What do you mean? Like, you pitch it. You, okay. Yeah. So, uh, listen to the show where Russell and I get on Steve's show where Steve talks about for 15 of the 25 <laughs> minutes, talks about how he had to cancel a show on his network. <laughs> and then for the remaining 10 minutes of that show, we play a game where we guessed how much celebrities cost on Cameo. It's great fun. Yeah. Also, Kush, you rule, dude. Like, I'll, we'll hang out anytime. <laughs> Steve's great. Okay, so you already mentioned the first movie I had lined up, which is Seder, coming out Tuesday the 9th. You actually gypped Jordan, uh, like, 40 other jobs he did on the movies, which I'm sure you guys get into in the yeah. interview. Everything. Yes, because we're very good interviewers. Continue. <laughs> Seder is... Um, the synopsis is secluded in a desolate forest. A broken family is observed by a satyr, a supernatural entity who is attempting to claim them. It's really good. I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> Loved that dramatic right. pause. You guys talk about it way more in the very long intro at the end of the show. So that is out on Tuesday the 9th. Um, this, the day this episode goes up, is opening night of the 23rd San Francisco Independent Independent Film Festival. Oh my goodness! Opening night. It's going to be running until the twenty first. Um, of February. Of February. Yes. Uh, what? Like three and a half weeks. Very long. Lots of movies. I haven't scoured their <laughs> their thing yet, but 
That's going to be opening um, February 4th. The day after this episode goes up, we have another film by our uh, by Rodney Asher, who's come up on this podcast a lot. He did Room 237. Um, the Nightmare. The Nightmare, which traumatized someone we saw it with. He's coming out with A Glitch in the Matrix, which is a documentary about people who have seen the Matrix way too much and thought about it on levels that I had never have. Idle time is the devil's worship. Continue. Does Chuggy come up as he dodges the bullets in the mall in the Matrix-esque fashion? Don't answer that, Charles. So he's off mic. Yeah, surprise, he's on the show later. That is going to be at the Balboas and the Roxy's Virtual Cinema. And so when is that released? February 5th. What day of the week is that? Friday. Have a great Friday, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> by watching a glitch in the matrix the documentary filmmaker Rodney Asher t- tackles this question are we living in a simulation with testimony philosophical evidence and scientific explanation in his for the answer you nailed it what <laughs> his for th- that's what it says on IMDb yeah. not a great sentence but that's going to be out on Friday the 5th it really does say that yeah, explanation in in his for the answer. Oh, uh, missing a word. That's probably one of the conspiracy theories. Document, documentary filmmaker Rodney Asher tackles this question: Are we living in a simulation with testimony, philosophical evidence, and scientific explanation? In his yeah, for the answer. In his search for the answer, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. you think it's a glitch? <laughs> <laughs> I know. For this reason. Oxana, anything else? Nope. All right. For any questions, queries, concerns, or comments, please direct those to podcast at overlooktheater.com. Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, the other one. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. It's not even my business what you do on your own personal time. The Overlook Hour is available on Facebook. Is the Overlook Hour. The Overlook Hour is available on Twitter. Is the Overlook Hour. And the Overlook Hour is available on <laughs> Instagram. Is the Overlook Theater. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Russell. The Overlook Hour is now on Parlor. Check us out on Parlor. No, we're not. <laughs> we're on Weemy. Check verbal? us out on Weemy. Verbal. Of, are we on Verbal? I'm Joy the Conservative Puppet. Took a roll. <laughs> hey, we also got a shout out from his name's not Joey. It's Jolly. Jolly. Does he say Jolly there? To play it again. I'm Joy the Conservative Puppet. He says Joey. He says Joey. His name's Jolly. Now look, if you watch any of his material. <laughs> It's very clear that he would flip flop and no one would give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> Look at his view count. All right. Is it well, we jo- Jolly Joey, maybe? Yes, All right. Jolly okay, Joey. <laughs> Four. Randy Michael Statt, Russell John Fisher, Oksana Valerian, Vanilla Sachi. I am Clark William Little until episode 232. Charles, we need a new uh, theme. We, we killed the lollipops thing. So, what's a new tag? I like the until episode 232. I like the lollipop thing. See you next week. Text me about me breaking your bones while raping you. And I'll send you the voice note while I come while reading it. What did you think of that? (laughs)
One, I think you laughed while delivering it. It's a horror story. It's not a comedy bit. Two, what's up with the fucking thunder? Well, in the previous iterations of the two sentence horror stories, we never talked about raping and cum. I, so it <laughs> threw me off just a little bit. Okay, well, apologies. Who, who sent that one in? This week's two sentence horror story was sent to us by Army Hammer. <laughs> From his private direct message history. Oh, what? <laughs> Apparently, he is a cannibal. Oh, Have you I heard the new story? Hold on, let me get my breaking news. <laughs> Apparently, Army Hammer likes to eat the human flesh. Randy, your thoughts? I mean, if you've seen uh, that Boots Riley film, it, uh, it's, it's no big surprise. Oh, that is true. He was absolutely in that. Sorry to bother you. Sorry to bother you. I don't know anybody named Boots. Boots Riley. Is that really a name? We saw Randy. Were you with me when we saw Boots Riley? What movie were we at? Where he? Oh, it was um um damn Parasite. It was Parasite. We saw Boots Riley Parasite, and he came in uh, right before the movie started and was wandering around like he was lost. Wait, (laughs) and and Mr. Boots is a cannibal? No, Boots Riley made a film. So Boots Riley, <laughs> good movie. Boots Riley is a, a musician and a filmmaker. He made a movie called "Sorry to Bother You." He's a cool looking dude. Army Hammer is in it, and I don't want to reveal oh. why Randy made that connection because it would spoil the film. Oh, it's I know that movie. It's I a never, great film. I never I, got to I, see. I, it. I watched it. It's it's fun. I love it a lot. It's crazy. There may or may not be horse people in it. Yes. Oh, well, there's, Randy, there's definitely horse people. Randy, <laughs> <laughs> it's been like five years since it came out. That was the crux of the film. You ruined it. Creepy. Get off of Chuggy's lap. Oh, yeah. Who was this creature? I thought I was the only creature here. I'm the creature? Your (laughs) voice? What the hell? I'm not human. Don't shame him. Do I have to catch up this bobo with my whole backstory? No, your time's up. You need to leave. No, I just wanted to say on the Chuggy, open open the trap door. door. Close close the door. (laughs) Just close it. Okay, he's gone. I do well, not like how Charles comes in here and just pushes what? around Creepy Clark. Well, Did you see the look on Creepy Clark's face when he shut the door? No, nah, he's completely rejected. I'm wearing glasses, you fuck. Not Creepy Clark. Creepy Clark is a haunted dummy that used to be a ghost. Now, who may or may not have been Jeffrey Epstein. That is new information. We're working that on that in the canon. <laughs> now, Charles, it's been a long time, and uh, I've still been scolded for referring to you as uh, Chuggy who survived the mall shooting. <laughs> I, I just want to get you your... have to know that comes up at least once a week. <laughs> no, it's not true. It's pretty once true. a month for real, though. Uh, okay. But you're okay <laughs> with it, right? Tell them about how you did the Matrix thing. Well, it wasn't really a matrix. It's more like just running for my goddamn <laughs> life while holding an Auntie Anne's cup of soda and a baby. Charles, what do you mean you were? I thought I thought they, you they didn't even let you in the mall. I was in. You were in the mall. Yeah, I and was they, in. I was at Barnes and Nobles. I was walking. That's towards, on the opposite end of the mall where the shoot. Yeah, happened. but I was at Barnes and Nobles. I was walking towards the the theater, but I stopped at Auntie Anne's to grab a drink, and then on my way towards. Uh, towards Cinemark, Auntie that's Ann- when... Okay, so Auntie Anne's is on the bottom. No, it's on the second floor. She's a top. 
Auntie Anne's is not on the top. It's on the second floor. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was Wetzel's. <laughs> There's two pretzel places what in the, the mall. Fuck is the Wetzel's? One is the <laughs> bitch Wetzel's pretzels. It fucking rhymes. I don't know what the fuck a Wetzel pretzel is. <laughs> How do you not know what a Wetzel's pretzel? Oksana, there. Look at that. Wetzel, you know Wetzel's pretzels? Oh, that looks good. Yeah. Captain Crunch? What the fuck? Now, I will tell you, Auntie Anne's. Fruity is- Pebbles? Yo, what the hell? Yo, Auntie Anne's is better than Wessels. I'll go to my grave with that. Randy, where, how you feel on a hot pretzel? <laughs> I love a hot pretzel. Now, do you like the savory? I, I, I do like the sweet pretzel. I'm not going to lie to you. The cinnamon sugar pretzel is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a savory guy, but... You, yeah, you get the pretzel know. dog? Uh, I'm not a big fan of hot dogs. I'm sorry, what? Whoa. Not a big fan of hot dogs. <laughs> Charles, not a big- that, that disgraces like your whole, like... My whole what? Corn dog? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, dogs. you're Filipino. Y'all put hot dogs and everything. Yeah, but doesn't mean I'm a huge fan of it. <laughs> it should. Um, That's family. That's family. That's family. No. I it's love hot dogs. How do you not like hot dogs? I'm not a huge fan of it. Why? What happened? Did a hot uh, dog hurt you? No. It's mainly because I don't know what the fuck's in a hot dog. Charles, <laughs> why does that matter at all? Hey, for for a long while, I had a huge ban on spam. Oh, the ban on spam. We were talking about that oh, last we night. Oh, we need ban spam <laughs> music. You had a ban on spam? Yeah. Why? Because it's... It's, um, it's a mystery it's meat? It's a mystery meat in a can, and you have no fucking idea how long it's been in the fucking can. So not until recently, I started eating spam. Yeah, I called him out on it last night when we were playing D anD. d So yeah. you, you like spam now? In yeah, uh, a little bit, but not. These are the shit. They're great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but other than that, I I won't eat spam in any <laughs> other form. Will you eat bullet? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? That's family. That, oh, that is a hundred year old Juggie. snot egg. <laughs> <laughs> no, bitch. That is a. <laughs> that is a. Passing through manhood. <laughs> that is a test. Uh, Oksana, <laughs> please go back to the description of balut, please. That is the test right there. Balut is a Filipino term for a fertilized developing egg embryo that is boiled and eaten from the shell. Yep. You will love that, but you won't <laughs> eat a hot dog? Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what's in a hot dog. You know what that is. That's fucking organic. <laughs> that Look at the, I see his beak and his eye, Charles. Cute. Okay, <laughs> it's like a peep. Delicious. You look at that, and it's lunch. Wait, man. hold on. Would any of you do you like peeps? What, what's a peep? Oh my! Not really? Oh wait, wait. The, the sugary. Yes. Yeah. Duck thing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like peeps. Most people with uh, you know front billing of a peep would be marshmallow, yeah. but not the sugary <laughs> duck thing. Look at it. It's a sugary <laughs> duck thing. Bitch, that's a bunny. <laughs> Bitch, that's a duck. <laughs> Look. All right, we do have a heart out there. I don't know if we're gonna hit it. <laughs> that fucking duck. Why does he have a pompadour? <laughs> what the hell? What are we looking at? Again, you know, a sugary duck thing. Oh, <laughs> be honest, delicious. we just saw a picture of a giant peep coming out of a peep mobile. <laughs> Somebody yeah. retrofitted a VW okay. Bug to have oh a my peep. God. All right, get off the peep train. <laughs> Charles, hot dogs 
are gross. fantastic. They're gross. I may have some for lunch. They're today. fucking gross. <laughs> the three it, it, friends it, are gonna hate you, Chucky. That's insane. That's like an hour of their show every day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Chucky doesn't listen to our show either, so don't right, worry. Well, Charles, we're gonna start with our movie talk here. Uh, right. So you what? have not figured out a film that you've watched in the past week. So I want True. you to think about that. Yeah. Just think I'm about the movies you've watched it. in the past few weeks. I mean, you haven't been on the show in quite some time. When's the last time we had him on? Oh, I could look it up. Probably Ooh. a year ago. I, you we, know, I don't even know if I kept as uh, you I, know litigious notes as I do, do you, now. I think maybe the last time you were here was when I was home and you and Coot nope. and Chris were in here. Oh, maybe. Yeah, you might be right. No, I think it was Hood Hunt. Oh, well, you did have a Chuggy's Dumb question for that. That was episode 197, though. So, yeah, it's, it's been a minute. I, I, I don't know. But again. Is Balut cruel? What the hell? It's not cruel. Um, hey, there's hot dogs, and they're delicious. <laughs> That's cruel. Just a reminder, uh, Chuggy's uh, referencing what's on screen right now, which you can watch on YouTube as we are pulling Oksana's screen and putting it on there as uh, lame video content, but... People also, for the record, Charles, you can absolutely go to any grocery store in the country and get an all-beef hot dog. It's just not a problem. It's not a problem. You won't need a corn so it's dog? Not, so it's not special, then? What? <laughs> it's not special. What does that mean? It doesn't have a fucking bird beak in it that's 100 years old? Well, it might. I think that was his earlier point. Look, before <laughs> Upton Sinclair had anything to do with it, yes. Okay, but this is not the jungle. I, I don't know. It's, Although I have heard horrible stories about jungle, meatpacking. Jungle. Uh, you remember that did commercial? You know, did you know that um, that Tom Arnold worked at Hormel? I don't even know what Hormel is. Hormel was like... Uh, Chili. One of, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of wow. the largest, like, you know, and they do like ham and turkey and, you know, they're big meat producers. Yeah. And so he worked at Hormel when he was in high school because I think it's a Iowa-based company. He's from Iowa. And he would just tell horror stories of like he saw a guy's hand go in the meat grinder. Whoa. No. Yeah. Look, look, look. Uh, I work at Hamel meat packing plant and on the kill floor for three years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Charles, please continue. As you were the furthest person in this room to read the screen. I would do so, so much worse than that. The fist is dessert? <laughs> Your inflection is a little questionable there, but anyway. Eat more hot dogs. You'll be able to read that sentence, correct? I don't know. Also, before we go into film talk, uh, we got to give a shout out to another podcast. Kane is dead. Uh, they gave, dude, we got a, a pretty rad um, mention on his show that I've been, is dead. I've been meaning to show you, Clark, and mm -hmm. uh, remind me after and I will. But I, I think it's uh, the, the best episode to shout that podcast out because if you like how personal... <laughs> Our interview with Jordan gets later. You'll dig uh, Kane is dead. That motherfucker. He, it's a one man show and he dives into everything from uh, relationship quarrels to like sexuality and just dealing with it. And I believe he's based out of Arizona. Super interesting. And I love uh, mixing up my my daily politics hell with something like that. And, you know, sprinkle in three. You know what I heard about him, though? Who? Motherfucker doesn't pay taxes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, get it off of there. I just had to shout him out. Apparently, he's also friends with a urinal. <laughs> 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 well, 
What? Chuggy, I, you know, I have to say, I've missed you, Charles. You got a new job. You work um, the, the wonderful hours of... Uh, uh, it's fucking terrible. It's yeah, what, are your, fucking what are your hours? Well, he got a tattoo of uh, Bezos on his neck, and we haven't been seeing him. So we're like, what's going on? Has and Bezos been down to the factory? Once. Really? You saw him? Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. We're, we're fairly new, open okay. warehouse. So he was just touring around. Wow, your whole energy just changed. Well, I you're like he's listening. I know. He, how tall is he? Like five three? I mean, you did say his name, and Google is fucking listening. Oh, <laughs> how, how big? How deep was so, his entourage? So, so if so if, if this podcast got like a million hits, you no. know why? Oh, how, that would be <laughs> the best thing ever. How deep was his entourage? I had a few people with him. <laughs> well, yeah, he's the CEO and the second yeah. richest man in the world. Yeah, pen and paper type people. Pen and teller? I wish. <laughs> Show me a fucking magic trick. All right, Chuggy. <laughs> what, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Chuggy. What are your hours? Uh, 5.30 to 2. Yeah. You get so, up at 4. Yep. I get but up, you got, I get you got cut off earlier today, yeah? They cut you loose? Yeah, because two of the damn bands didn't show up. On a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, on a Sunday, yeah. Does that happen on a Sunday? No, not really. So you just got lucky today. We're lucky to have you right now. Yeah. Okay, great. Just eat more hot dogs. Don't worry about it. Oh, yeah, I will tell you, you've been missing out on Drag Race. The UK and the new uh, 13th season have just been so fucking good. No, nah, no, it's, it's been killing me because like, I, I would see like snippets of it on Instagram and yeah. I'm like, fuck. The trail posting and shit. No, not even him. Just in general. It's it's, it's just the the, the algorithm. RuPaul. Yeah. yeah, it's just the RuPaul. Well, whenever you got time, we can catch up. I I'm oh totally God. down to watch both again. They're so good. <laughs> so All right, so let's uh, so we do have a little bit of a time constraint, so let's get rolling here with Randy Michael Stat. Now, Randy, I understand that you have been Wait, knee deep. Are you going to interrupt me this entire time? Because I'm going to tell you right now. You see this candle? Yeah, it's a nice candle. You remember what happened in the movie? Not really. With the guy with the beard and a flame? Yeah. Oh, Don't keep, be keep spoiling. Going. Yeah, you're kind of spoiling the movie. Also, by the way, no, no, no. It's called, bitch, it's called a tease. Do you understand? <laughs> Do you understand what radio talk is? Because in the interview with the I filmmaker, think, think we talked to him you... again. Do not interrupt me <laughs> ever again. I'm a guest, right? <laughs> <laughs> the filmmaker talks about, let's go ahead and say it. Real. Okay. Do you know that? You I do know? All right. Randy Michaelstadt is knee deep in the Sundance Film Festival. Randy, <laughs> now, I, look, I have always wanted to go to Sundance. And so I feel like now that, you know, because of COVID and all that stuff, Sundance is now available uh, mm-hmm. to much more people now. However, yeah. you know, do you, do you feel like you're a part of it? How, you know? Uh, I mean, I don't know if I feel like I'm a part of Sundance in particular, but I mean, I don't know. It's cool to see movies that are like just premiering for the first time. Um, yeah, I mean, it's got kind of a little special feel to it, but I mean, it you know feels kind of a lot like New York Film Festival did or anything else yeah, besides I, like Chattanooga yeah, think, was a little different. I think Sundance though has just has that thing of like you know it overtakes this little town and in Utah and you know, you got to be out there in your little parka jackets standing in line for hours. Yeah. At least how that was, uh, it was, um, portrayed in season three, uh, part one of Entourage. I knew it. I was remember that. Thank you. (laughs) 
No, but uh, it's been fun so far. I've only caught three things uh, so far. COVID. And I have two later today. Yes, caught COVID, and then I caught a <laughs> lupus from last week. Oh, boy. <laughs> lupus don't play. Uh, but yeah, one of the the movies that I've seen the last couple of days is called Strawberry Mansion. It's oh. directed by Albert Burney and Kentucker Oddly. I'm sorry, it sounded like you said his first name was Kentucker. It is. He's in uh, Amy Simitz's film, uh, Sun Don't Shine, and in She Dies Tomorrow. Okay. He's an actor as well. Who was in charge of his first name? Yeah, it's a weird name, but it's cool. Ken um, Tucker is fine, but you combine those into one word. <laughs> I like it. I don't hate it. It's just, you know, it's, it's startling on me, you. you know? It's just like blood, you know? First time you see it, it's like, what? what is wrong with this, you know? Especially person that yeah, is the first dog. time seeing a hot dog. <laughs> it's a tube of meat. Okay. I don't understand the problem. It, Randy, a lot of problems. Randy, you just got to take control. Speaking of uh, tubes of meat, there's also uh, bucket, <laughs> buckets of chicken in this movie that appear oh. uh, in multiple scenes. Um, but anyways, the the premise essentially the film takes place in like a near future. It doesn't really say when. Um, and there is, um, essentially tax men that show up to people's houses and audit people's dreams and people's oh. dreams are recorded. So people's dreams are recorded on the VHS, uh, in this world. And then, yeah, uh, you know, a tax man played by Kentucker oddly shows up to your house in a, in a nice, nice suit and a hat. And he goes through all of your, your dreams and, uh, Pulls taxes from him. What? So what yeah. are they taxing in the dream? Just like random objects <laughs> and stuff. Like a, a bucket of chicken would be taxed, which appears in the film multiple times. Mm. Because uh, of but, branding? How much you tax on a bucket of chicken? Like 7%? <laughs> yeah, probably like 7, maybe 8, oh, 9 Randy, if you're in California. Torn in here. Uh, so yeah, it's a kind of a, a weird premise of a film, but essentially he gets sent to this older uh, lady's house. Her name is Bella. And uh, he's like, <laughs> he's like, uh, <laughs> I'll stay in a, a hotel like nearby, like, you know, while I do the audit, cause it can take multiple days. She's got like an insane amount of recorded dreams on the VHS. And she's like, no, you should just stay here. And like very much insists, insists on him staying there. Incest. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> So basically, uh, yeah, it's just him kind of going through her dreams and stuff, and it becomes very um, dreamy and surreal, and it's pretty unique. It feels part like a sci-fi film, uh, part like a fantasy film. Apparently, the directors were influenced by stuff like Never Ending Story, and it has this very like handmade, like DIY film feel to it, like a lot of the uh, effects and like the helmet that he wears to audit dreams are like, you could tell they're very like handmade and like DIY. And uh, yeah, it's maybe not be, might not be a movie that'll work for everybody, but um, I don't know. I was pretty into it. So think, Randy, we yeah. got like two pictures on IMDb to play with. Yeah. And one of them is a uh, wide shot with um, Kentucker looking at a mansion in the far distance. Yeah, that, I would hardly call that a mansion. Uh, okay, <laughs> no, it's like a nice um, house in the woods, very green, well, it, lush. It, that it, is spooky town. It demands a control of the surrounding property, so mm -hmm. you know that's why I, I chose the word mansion. 
anyway, it totally reminds me of a, did you ever see the Criterion film, uh, Black Moon? No, but I know of it. Yeah, you would uh, remember the unicorn that makes an appearance in that film. But it's, it's kind of a like personal, grounded film that is a fantasy movie. And you, it implies that our lead is kind of like on a psychedelic journey. Mm-hmm. But it's so subtle yet like confronting. I don't know. It, is that what we're dealing with here? I, I'm, I'm having a hard time getting tone from IMDb. Sort of, yeah. There's a bit of a, a love story to it. I'd say that's kind of like the main uh, like through line, essentially. Um, so essentially, this might be ruining it a little bit, but when he's auditing the dreams of Bella, um, he meets younger Bella in her dreams, essentially. Oh, and then him and younger Bella kind of like have a thing. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. And it's a uh, Back to the Future style. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like I said, it's it's super dreamy and it's uh it looks very like handcrafted and I just really liked the aesthetic of it and uh yeah, Kentucker's really good and the person that plays uh the old woman that he goes to audit um is pretty good as well. Randy, there is no there is what's more dystopian than having a tax man audit your fucking dreams? Mm-hmm. Like the one last private place on this planet is your head have you got the fucking government poking around in there capitalism knows no bounds dude well you know what there's actually there's actually ads in the dreams too which plays into this yeah Yeah, i that that feels kind of black mirror-ish except yeah no technology i guess middle a little bit this is much more like light than uh black mirror is dude i'm in Oh, this is part of Sundance, though? God damn it. Yeah, I assume it'll probably get a release or get picked up somewhere, but I think by the time this episode airs, Sundance will be over, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I want to see this guy audit Creepy Clark's dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Creepy Clark is a former ghost, therefore he has no dreams. I would say that the undead never rest. Yeah. I would say dreams don't are a sleep, thing. Don't sleep. Dreams are a thing that uh, the living take for granted. And Creepy Clark, being twice removed from a body, uh, probably laments the fact that he can't dream. And it's really rude that you also, brought that up. Also, Dreams is a hit song by the band Cranberries. <laughs> Tangerine track. Dream is uh, the king of the 80s soundtrack. Tangerines are <laughs> excellent fruit. <laughs> and we're brought up in our interview. Bam! Came full circle. <laughs> Clap. Also, you guys should check out a film called Censor. Oh, okay. Wait, what? You got another movie? What happened? I'm just saying you guys should check out a film called Censor. So, how do you spell it? C-E-N-S-O-R. Oh, traditional spelling. Was that yeah. a dig at us shutting up? <laughs> no. no. I'll, I'll, I'll never be able to figure out how to spell Seder correctly. All right. What's going on with Censor? What's this thing? Uh, it's a movie that takes place in the 80s UK, and there is a woman who is a film censor who uh, is viewing a lot of video nasties around the area of that whole thing. And uh, yeah, it's good. Wow. It's okay. a Sundance film? Yeah. You just made me understand a text I got yesterday. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Ooh, Robbie? that sounds good. No, not Robbie. Although Robbie did uh, reach out. He is the only person I know that knew about Sunk Into the Womb. Of Randy, course. did you check it out? <laughs> No, not yet. I haven't Randy, felt like Randy, I'm not in that mood yet. 
Charles I, Mickey did reach out on Twitter from the Three Friends podcast. <laughs> yep, never gonna watch it. Yeah, can't do it. <laughs> Dude, it's great. It's beautiful. Charles, we talked about a movie last week that Russell and Oksana watched, where um, a three-year-old child is thrown into the trash. No, that doesn't happen. Clark was uh, <laughs> shutting down mentally because I, I straight up told him he's not allowed to ever watch the movie. I will go ahead and extend that demand to you too. Charles, you are never allowed to watch a movie called Sunk into the Do you the see world. that little girl? They kill her. <laughs> he doesn't. So he literally, this is PTSD, has blocked out that whole conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I will tell you this film is about abandoning children and they are left in an apartment alone for days. And uh, the way it's filmed is very confronting. Have you ever tried to open a can with a knife? Yes. Was it spam? You stab a can with a knife, right? Have you ever seen a three-year-old try to do that? No. Yeah, I know. All it's right, rough. Here's the thing. I will watch this movie. You're with, not allowed. With Charles. Only if we film it. And we film it <laughs> and we're there to comfort each other. If we make some video content of I'm you. I'm not hugging you. <laughs> Charles, I would hug you with all of my heart. Okay, so we get a camera. You, you both... <laughs> You both watch this movie. Food's a big part of that movie. So we'll get a hot dog and, and some balut. Yeah. I'm not going to eat the balut. <laughs> He's not going to eat the <laughs> hot dog. I'll eat the hot dog if you eat the balut. That is not a fair trade at <laughs> that all. Is, that is an absolutely that fair is, trade. You are insane. Hot dog is, is the... Is <laughs> <laughs> no. That is so fair. They don't sell balut at the goddamn 7-Eleven, Charles. Yeah, because it's a delicacy. I'm not eating a delicacy where I'm a fucked up little embryo bird. Well, we are watching a little kid, so it's like... It's yeah, okay, get, it, all right, get, get out of here. Get out of here. Oh, my God. It's going to be in my nightmares. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, you open a balloon. I watched a film a that came out on HBO Max this week. Uh, you may have been inundated with advertisements from this film on television and or the internet. Uh, the name of this picture is called The Little Things. Oh, The Clark Little Things. Thank you so much. <laughs> I thought we were doing Godzilla vs. King Kong. That's not a trailer? I did watch the trailer. <laughs> the trailer's all over. I, the trailer sucks. Who you got your money on? <sighs> Godzilla. You, you gotta go for King Kong. I'm going Godzilla. for Kong. You gotta Godzilla. go for Kong. Who's going for Godzilla? All my Asian families. <laughs> <laughs> That's Dude, family. Kong. Yeah, Kong's got weaponry, dude, though. Dude, you watch Yeah, it, that means he's okay, a bitch. But, oh, wow. But King, dude, Kong is clearly the protagonist. No. <laughs> yes. Watch the trailer. Nope. Watch the trailer. It's clear that he's the protagonist. No, he's not. <laughs> do I have to explain they, what, they are, what they protagonist are, is? No, I do, okay. but they're doing Godzilla wrong. Because oh. Godzilla, in the trailer, it's not Godzilla attacking the city. It's Mecha Godzilla, and you can quote me on that. I, I would rather <laughs> pass away with a hot dog. I would rather choke on a hot dog with a bullet up my butthole than ever There's an understand <laughs> what the fuck you just said. Wait, the little things. <laughs> the Clark little things. Very little things. Uh, dropped on... This was supposed to be a big movie, man. Like, like we, got, we got Denzel, okay? Well, it's not We've in the got, title. Again, do not interrupt me. <laughs> anymore <laughs> we've got we've got denzel okay we've got rami malik academy award winning rami malik academy award winning denzel and academy award winning 
Jared. I'm Leto. glad you went back. Yes. <laughs> All three of them. Okay. Got that little golden piece of shit trophy. All three of them. Only, this is, is deserving. not good. This movie uh, written, directed by John Lee Hancock, um, who gave us the founder, which I, I love the founder. I've watched that several. Randy, you're a fan. Yeah. Yeah. It's solid. I think it's a nice, it's a nice little movie um, about the, about McDonald's and uh, Ray Kroc. And uh, now look, you know, we can go into really Ray Kroc being a monster, but I think that the founder did a really good job of, of understanding you know, the start of the fast food industry and, and it's great for what it is. The little things is a film that he wrote, I believe 30 years ago. And he's finally just gotten to make it now. And, uh, that makes a whole lot of sense to me now because after watching this, it's, it's almost there. It, the whole thing feels like an adaptation of a crime novel, which it is not. Um, Denzel plays a, a no. Here's here's what we're gonna do, Charles. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna spoil this movie. That's fine. Is everyone me. okay with this, Randy? I know you were semi interested in this, but yeah. I I'm gonna pass on it. Okay, here we go. Denzel, you didn't ask me. Denzel <laughs> plays a police officer who is now in Bakersfield, California. He used to be in the L.A. Uh, police Department. He's now a sheriff in Bakersfield. He goes back to L.A. as the movie opens with uh, this girl driving down the road. Russell, she's singing Rome If You Want To by the B-52s. Oh, I'm in. I'm in. And uh, there's a car tailing her, and she gets very scared. She goes in this uh, truck stop off the road, uh, abandoned somewhere in Southern California. Very sparse country. And uh, the guy goes out and tries to hunt her down. She escapes, and then it we get the movie titles of the little things. Denzel goes down to LA because there's been a new string of murders. He believes that they are connected to a crime that was never solved by him. Now this movie is riddled with flashbacks and the longer the movie goes, the, the more we start to fill in of what really happened with Denzel and why he is no longer with this police department, why he went to Bakersfield and why he, he lost his marriage, why he had a heart attack, and all the weight that, yes. So Denzel was supposed to be the, the tip of the top of the cops. You understand? Tippy top, top cop. Tippy top. top. Tippy top cop. And then this crime happened. Well, as we learn at the end of the movie, um, he actually shot and killed a girl oh. while trying to investigate. Uh, and he, it was a complete accident. And it was covered up by that police department. And so he feels like he has to make things right. Well, uh, Rami Malek plays the up-and-coming new tippy-top cop, okay? Mm-hmm. Rami Malek is horribly miscast in this movie. Rami Malek is very talented, but he doesn't... Look at, look at him. Yeah. Does he look like a cop? No. No. Nah. No. <laughs> he looks like this pansexual, amorphous, <laughs> little David Bowie man, and he, you don't buy him at all as a cop. You mean they Freddie have, Mercury? No, I said David Bowie, <laughs> pansexual. Do you know what that means? Google it, but don't do it on my time because we have no phone policy. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like it's Freddie Mercury. I understand he played fucking Freddie Mercury, Charles. He's also Mr. Robot. Robot. <laughs> 
Mr. Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot. Come on. They had, <laughs> it's a he, good show. He and Denzel had no chemistry together. And frankly, like it finally takes to the second act where you're like, okay, I can stand these two in the same car together. Then in comes Jared Leto as the prime suspect of these murders. Mm-hmm. Jared Leto is doing the complete Jared Leto thing. Okay. He's like, Mr. Cool Guy. You think he's the murderer. He knows that the cops are on to him, so he's playing games. You understand? Mm-hmm. Playing games with him. Mm-hmm. Denzel brings him in with Rami Malek. Rami Malek's interviewing him. He shows them pictures of the dead girls. Jared Leto takes these pictures. Russell, the following is an exact line from this movie. Oh, no. Are you ready? No. No. So he looks at the pictures of the girl, and then Denzel storms in the room and throws him up against the wall. And he says, you did it, motherfucker. Look at you. Your dick is as hard as Chinese arithmetic. Whoa, really? Yes. Wow. Yes. That's, oh, man. So then they try to, to, to nail him down. So um, they, they make, uh, Charles, what this is called is a diversion to where they, they let him know, hey, uh, we're sorry about what happened um, in the interrogation room and Denzel saying that, you know, you had Chinese arithmetic dick. So we want to take you out to dinner. So meet us at this restaurant near your house. Okay. So they tell him to go to meet the, is this it a restaurant. Chinese restaurant. It's not a Chinese restaurant because he said, oh, is that the place with the potato skins? Oh, <laughs> he's like, okay. So they're outside of his house. He goes downstairs because he, let me tell you something. You could tell a little bit of pep in his step because he's going to get potato skins. I don't know about you. Love potato skins. Charles, your thoughts. A little too salty. You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> so he goes to the restaurant and then Denzel snipes in the apartment because he needs to find incriminating evidence because he knows Jared Leto did it. Uh-huh. He goes in the apartment. He actually finds, of course, there's a hidden compartment underneath a rug. Who fucking knew? They goes in there and, of course, it's all newspaper clippings about all the other murders. Uh-huh. So he just thinks he's a creep. Anyway, and then Jared Leto figures out that he's been had. So then he calls in an officer down. And so now the police have swarmed his apartment and now Denzel's got to sneak out. So now they're playing the game where he knows that he's on to him. So now they're, they're just watching his every move. Uh-huh. What happens one time is that they're in the car together. Okay. Uh-huh. Denzel goes and goes get a cup of coffee because they're on a stakeout, Charles. You understand? You got to be in the car. They come back out. Jared Leto sees that it's only little Rami Malek down there. He said, I can fuck with Rami Malek. Denzel, he's too sharp, but he knows he sees weakness in Rami Malik. So he takes him. He's like, I know, I'll take you to the girl. Mm-hmm. I know where the girl is. So they go way far away. Denzel finally catches up with him. Mm-hmm. And he's just going on with Rami Malik. Long story short, Rami Malik kills Jared Leto. Jared Leto probably didn't even do the crime. And everything is circled together. Because Denzel knows that Rami Malek accidentally killed this guy. He accidentally killed this girl. And also, do you realize how many times in this movie they say the little things? So oh, many yeah. times. It's, <laughs> it's the little things. It's the little things that'll get you caught. It's the little things that'll help oh, you. The, best, the little things. That's the best. He fucking kills him with a shovel. And they bury, <laughs> him. They bury him in the desert. Right. And uh, yeah. It, look, there. Very the comedian. There's an interesting movie in here somewhere, but it is two hours and seven minutes, That's and there totally. is so much nothing. Totally. There's a lot of nothing here, and um, I, I, it was frustrating because in the third act, 
things finally kind of get together, but it's too little too late. It was too little too late. And uh, it's supposed to end with this emotional punch where everything sort of circles around and um, there's actually a callback. Denzel actually sends him a red beret. And that was supposed to be the the thing that ties everything together. He needed that because Rami Malek goes, he goes off, he goes crazy like Denzel did. Okay. And so he sends him <laughs> in the mail, this little red beret uh-huh. to let him know, I found this. Uh-huh. But at the end of the movie, we see Denzel burning a lot of evidence and he had just purchased a bunch of red uh, berets and the cherry red beret was taken from the package. So he just did that to let him know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two stars. Is that why you're wearing a red bandana? I'm wearing, uh, first it's, of all, this is orange. an orange bandana. Orange. He's colorblind. I know orange and red. Thank you very much. Hot dogs are red. Oranges <laughs> are orange. <laughs> Thanks, Charles. Yeah, you got him. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, don't watch the little things. It's too long and um, not great. I like how you're like, so, too little, too late. Too little, too late. The little thing. That's your little bit. Did you know that Remy Malik's also in a video game? What's the video game? Until Dawn. What is that? It's a horror video game. What's it about? <laughs> First person, third person. Second uh, person. It's about... <laughs> It's about, this, second uh, it's about this family that got one of their, um, they went out on a cabin mm-hmm. uh, one summer. In and the one woods? Of, their, of course it's in the woods. Because it's very, you know, yeah. So one, <laughs> of their, <laughs> so one of their sisters was dead or murdered or killed. But oh. Remy Malik, who was the she younger was either brother. murdered or killed? Okay, cool. Yeah. And Remy Malik is the brother and planned this whole thing and eventually tried to kill everyone. But it's just a prank, bro. But they're actually a, being a prank, yeah. bro. No, actually, yeah, I'm not even kidding. It actually is. Don't but, ruin the game. But they well, are. That's actually, him in the game. He looks creepy. Mr. Robot. Nobody looks like a child. Well, this came out a couple of years back, so it was pretty. When he was eleven. You, <laughs> <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> so, Chuggy, you know who? Uh, this game is amazing. Yeah, this is the Larry Fessenden game that we've talked about along here. Yeah, it was one of the first ones. I did not know that. Yeah, it kind of, it's like. You buried the lead, Charles. Do you know who Larry is? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. We'll listen to the show when you will. But that's, you know, when a video game works, but also has a good tie into horror movies. I mean, Mm -hmm. the proof's in the pudding at that point. Proof is in the pudding. I would only play that game because of uh, Fessenden. And honestly, like that game, it's supposed to be a horror movie that you navigate through. Yep. So your choices, you know, uh, reflect outcomes and you want to keep everybody alive by the end, but maybe not. I don't know. I haven't played that one. I think it's only on PlayStation, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Now. What was the other one? Manamadan. Manamadan. Yeah. Manamadan? Manamadan. Man, it's, Manamadan. it's just Manamadan. Manamadan. I don't think it's Manamadan. Manamadan. Dark pictures, Manamadan. How do you pronounce that, Clark? Manamadan. See? It's not Man of Medan. Man of Medan. Man of Medan. I think it's, I, I've heard so many different pronunci- like, pronunciations of Man that. Man of Medan. <laughs> Say one of them. Um, Median? There ain't no I. Man of Median? I know, I just made that up. Oh. Yeah, was, that's another game that he worked on and came out after. I We do have that game, if you want to play it. I think it's up to like five players or something. 
I'm sorry. Right? I don't have five friends. Uh, it's it's not up to five players, but there are five characters, so people can pass around well, the they, controller. They have a mode where you pass. Everybody plays the character. Yeah. So when your character comes up, you get control of them. Yeah. Oh, pass. Oh, you just it's, don't like people. <laughs> Correct. <I know>. <laughs> yeah. But- <laughs> All right. right, Charles, did you figure out something uh, you can talk about within a seven-minute time frame? Uh, yeah, I kind of recently just watched Ford versus Ferrari. <gasps> oh, my man! What, McDonald's? All right, so please tell us what you thought of the greatest movie ever made. It's pretty damn good. Thank you so much. It's very good. Will you ever? Can you get Russell to watch this? Uh, probably no. not. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Randy, I almost watch uh, Le Mans this weekend. Oh, you're a <laughs> nice. Antonelli? The, uh, a 20, the Steve McQueen movie. Yeah. Hour not the actual race. Oh. <laughs> not sure when that is. But yeah, so why did you watch Four versus Ferrari? Uh, it's one of those things. I was just getting home, just scrolling through my TV, and I'm just like, I don't want to play a video game today. And I'm like, Racing in the rain? No, fuck that. Oh, the art of racing in the rain? Yeah, but Ford vs. Ferrari. I still need to watch But there's a movie. dog in that movie. I don't give a, a shit about the fucking dog. Whoa. Whoa. What is this language today? I like my own dog. I don't like other people's dogs. Chill out, dog. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that was weird. I'm sorry. It's just because of the hot dog. That's I'm, okay. I'm a little triggered with the hot dog. Well, you, that's fine because hot dogs are great. Blood is trash. Uh, mm. <laughs> oh, about that. All right. You but yeah, any- this this movie is great. I I enjoyed it. What, what did you enjoy about it? Well, the story of just how uh, they, they they went to Italy to try to get a a co contract with Ferrari, and then just got immediately floored by. F- is it Fiat? Yes, <laughs> Fiat. It's just like wow, you wasted all that fucking time and. There's just this sleazy guy who's always on um on Henry Ford's ear. And he's like this asshole who's just like, yeah, eventually I'm going to run this fucking company. But it's like, you're a total tool. And he's like, dude, you're not doing anything at all. And I love how the best racer in the whole fucking country works in a garage that got shut down because he is so focused on racing. That's like his entire passion, but it doesn't pay anything. But he still does it anyway. He attends race meet in like his own custom car that doesn't even meet the guidelines. So on one of the episode, I mean not the episode, on one of the on one of the scene, his trunk was not regulated for the race. So he took a uh is it a wrench? And he just started hammering the trunk. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, this guy's a fucking madman. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my favorite parts is like when um when uh when Shelby Grabbed the wrench and just Carol told Shelby. It, yeah, Carol Shelby took the wrench and just t- told uh, tell his guy frame this. And I'm like, why? Like, why would you frame a wrench? It's like it doesn't make sense. But eventually, throughout the show, you eventually see that wrench on his office, and it's like, oh, he sees something in this madman, <laughs> this guy who is, in my opinion, one of the best racers not even heard of. It's the wrench that he threw at the race director. Okay. Yeah. And it's like, I've never heard of him before. And it's like, he's eventually one of the best racers in the world. Well, he died. <laughs> well, Quite yeah. Quite tragic. But he just ruined so. that movie too? 
Yeah, but I mean, it's that's it's history. If, if you're one of the best in your sport, you should be immortalized. Sure. And it's sad that this is the first time that majority of the people are hearing about this person. Well, sure, but I mean, well, I mean, look, there's everyone knows about Carol Shelby. Yeah, because of his signature car. And he was Carol Shepard was also uh, quite the race car driver. Yeah, on and then of course you know he you know became blind with well, his thing with Ford. So night blindness. Uh, but yeah, no Charles uh, Charles nailed that. Yeah, uh, so the Ford uh, Motor Company tried to make a deal with Ferrari. They were going to make Ford Ferrari, Racing, and um, yeah. yes, because they Ferrari was having um, financial problems, and uh, they did not want to do a deal with Ford. Ford. So that uh, put a little spur under uh, Henry Ford's bottom, and that's why we've got what we got. And then we got the three Ford finish, mm-hmm. which was bullshit. But yeah. It, what, it, what are you talking about? I faced uh, out it, a half hour this, ago. This movie doesn't have a happy ending. Oh. <laughs> it, it doesn't have a happy ending. I don't know about that. He, first off, he got he got his... Win basically revoked because he didn't finish. Well, he he didn't win. It wasn't revoked. He just didn't win. Yeah, but it, the way they did it is kind of fucking shitty because well, it one hundred percent is shitty. Yeah, and and it's like, where's your where's this person's happy ending? Right, like he he is the second hand. Charles, you're, you're missing the point though. The <laughs> you're missing the point because at, at at the end of the movie, um. You know, Carol Shelby said, you know, he felt Carol Shelby had that weight of, you know, regret as well. And he was like, I'm sorry I didn't get you the win. He's like, you never promised me the win. You promised me the drive. Yeah. Th- that's what I, life I is, I agree baby. with that part. We're not guaranteed wins. Yeah, but journey, he, he is rewarding for their providing Wait, no, for let, his family. Let, let, say, let Randy right? say that. What, I was just saying it's about the journey, not the destination, man. Yeah, brother. That's why hot dogs fucking rule. <laughs> it's like you get all of the fucking animals off the ark. You throw them into a meat grinder. You never know what you're going to get. That's right, man. We're bringing the world together with the hot dog. <laughs> it's not just one thing. Sure, we get a little bit of a rat, a little bit of a beaver. Bring it all in for one big meat tube, man. High five. Close the door. Close the door. <laughs> you should have high fived him. Yeah, you do. I don't know where his ham hands. Ooh, wow. Nice. That's my rap name. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Charles, I'm glad that you finally watched uh, the greatest movie I ever made. It's it's up there. And believe me, it's up uh, there. If, if you want more racing movie recommendations, just let me know. Rolling Thunder? No. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. All right. RJ Fisher. Yeah. Ooh. I've never called you RJ before. You like that? Nah. Oksana, do you like RJ? What does the J stand for? Russell John Fisher is his name. Jumping. Is is that your middle name or part of your first name? Take a guess. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) First name. Charles, what's your middle name? Celestino. Actually, it's not even the first name. It's my my first name is Charles Celestino. I don't have a middle name. (laughs) How do you spell that? Uh, C-E-L-E-T-I-N-O. It's kind of a cool name, Celestino. Mm-hmm. Celestino. Like- uh, it's 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 kind of, it's also kind of dumb because my initials is three C's. Ooh, oh, C cubed. Yeah, yeah, that's the part I fucking hate it. C three. Yeah. P O. Thank you. And uh, it's it's kind of annoying when on one of my report cards I have all C's. 
It's kind of oh. it gets pretty fucking. It wears that would have been, been a happy day for me. You need to study more. <laughs> See, I graduated oh, with a one point two. Really? High school might have been a one point eight. One point. I mean, oh yeah. Can you graduate with a one point eight? When people fucking enjoy your company, yeah, you can do anything. Hey, look! What I know. What did I do in high school? Look, what the I hell? Have, look, I have a minor in Espanol <laughs> because me and my professor were amigos. <laughs> okay, dude, I had FF. It came you out to a Okay, don't hit the mic. All right, he's out of control. Very much. All right, my turn. Rolling Thunder. Uh, so God, I've you, been. Uh, you do understand Rolling Thunder is not a racing move. Not like Killdozer. You're thinking of Days of Thunder, you dumb fuck. Bro. Dude, Rolling Thunder. Oh, yeah. I know, way. but it's not. I think they get a Days of Thunder. Well, you got Randy involved in that too. Randy, yeah, Days of Thunder is good. Oh, yeah, he was saying Rolling Thunder. Y'all haven't seen that movie. I have. It's fucking good. Also, Killdozer. Let's bring up another one. Look at that fucking. This, clearly, I knew you weren't uh, trying to mention that movie, but we should watch that one. What? I would watch Rolling Thunder with you. You don't watch Rolling Thunder. And. uh Killdozer, the movie is fucking good too, but not a racing movie. Look at that one, dude. Well, Killdozer used to be on this show, and we don't talk. About that. <laughs> well, I don't even know if he knew about this movie when he pulled that name. Uh, don't tell him that's that, very specific, though. I don't know. He might. He does now, for sure. Again, we're referring to Justin, who hasn't been on the show in forever. All right. He's doing good, though. Talk to him, Russell. Take us home. Um. Yeah, I think you guys. So I've been dreading talking about this dirt. movie. I am a uh, two films. I think two months ago, <laughs> I threw a poll on Twitter and I was like, you know, I had a lot of fun doing that Amityville box set. Let's do that again. Uh, pick a box set. And everybody picked the Korean, the South Korean ghost story trilogy. And I was instantly intimidated as I, why is that? Uh, just be, it's not <sighs> Asian ghost stories that make it over to America are usually very impactful in the countries they come from usually due to social commentary or dealing with shit that, you know, they haven't. But in America, we're so fucking decadent over here. Like, we're at Rome time. We're voting in horses into the Senate. Rome if you want to. Yeah, right? And it's like, unless you know about a particular time in, like, you know, Japanese culture in Hong Kong or... And I've been I've been learning a lot from watching these. Like, sunk into the womb. Learned about uh, single moms struggling in... Uh, Early 2000s. Um, Three-year-olds uh, opening cans with knives. Untold Story. Learn about the uh, handover to China yep. and uh, the departure from Western Western culture. Then I'm like, man, now I'm in South Korea. And these films are like, so Chuggy, while we were talking to Jordan, was watching Whispering Corridors. Yes. And it's a fucking subtle film. It's a ghost story. And here in America, ghost stories are always about the nuclear family and, you know, the house we occupy. and you know, our own private Idaho, so to say. And um, another B-52s rep. It's, you know, it's something that is instantly identifiable to an American. Now, in the, in Whispering Corridors, we're dealing with a cry of mistreatment from a all-girls school mm-hmm. and just the power that teachers have over children. And it's. I think uh, Oksana was saying Chuggy was getting very violent downstairs. Oh, uh, I. I tell you what, though, it, it was give, <laughs> It was giving me a hardcore flashback. Oksana was with me, and I can. I was telling her about this story about once a week we would line up down the hall and we would show our hands 
to show if our nails are dirty. All right, what country are we in right now? Philippines. Okay. And if your nails are dirty, you get hit on that finger with a ruler. Oh. It's yeah, it's pretty it's pretty nutty. So <laughs> be, before that scene Ass even <laughs> before that scene even came up, I already told that to Oksana. Yeah. And like literally 10 or 15 minutes later, they did it. Um, and I was just like, oh fuck. This is yeah, hitting me hard. Bye, bitch. It was okay. It, it was really <laughs> yeah. The, so culturally, we're. I mean, I. It feels like, I don't know, mean to say that they're very behind where we are now, and students have a lot more rights. I mean, we are in a country where people get so crazy over everything, mm-hmm. and um, litigious. You know, uh, these cultural movements, like whispering corridors, was huge in South Korea. I bet. And then it comes over here and it gets kind of like a small DVD release. And I'm sure there's a crowd that was pumped for it. Uh-huh. But for me, it's a lot of work. Like you got to do a lot of diving to really appreciate the the film history and the impact that the film made. Mm-hmm. Because on the surface, we're dealing with a ghost story that's not that, um, as far as the genre is concerned, we're not like reinventing the wheel here. Yeah, it's not. So in part two, Memento Mori. Oh, 17%. Um, Memento Mori. Again, people like to shit on horror films. And for uh, it would not be unfair to just say it's boring. And if, if that's where you are with movies and film. And that's Whispering Corridors. That was the first. And yeah. you're, you're going to talk about the second. Well, one. Memento Mori is part two. Um, other than the, the setting, which is an all-girls school, they are not related in any way. Okay. And the first film was kind of about like... Uh, the depression and the atrocities of school. Also, I should mention South Korea. If you don't get a perfect score on the SATs, you've done something wrong. They have such a strict culture of uh, education, high standards, and you know it's it's we can't even compare to it. No, there's a school in China that only takes like the most elite, brightest people. Half of it is from South Korea. And uh, recently, I, uh, there was a South Korean pop star who killed herself. It was a big deal. I don't remember her name, but it's the pressures that they put on these kids. Now, as a pop star, you start really young mm-hmm. and you're expected to do X, Y, and Z. Like, it's your career before you've ever even had a life. And it's like I have that jumbling around in the back of my head. And I'm watching Memento Mori, which is mostly a ghost story told in a nonlinear um, progression about uh, the LGBTQ community. And it's really about like, uh, there was a huge lesbian kiss in this movie Hell and they yeah. tease it throughout. Now the cinematography is beautiful. I actually think it's a better movie than whispering corridors, just as like one would, you know, you show up to the Roxy on a weekday and you watch an early horror movie and you can walk away and enjoy it. But it's like, the impact just isn't there. I feel like I'd have to sit down with somebody who's really invested with it to get me excited. And then I'd be like, oh, all right. Like now I have the context for this cultural boom that is these girls who, I mean, and I'll spoil it because you see it coming. The format of this movie is they find a diary with these two girls who had a relationship. The diary kind of uh, confirms some ideas that they've been hinting at. The girls are kind of back and forth. Like they're, they're dating. I'm air quoting now, mm-hmm. but it's not like an official thing. One of them starts talking about how she slept with their teacher and uh female teacher. It's one of those like insecurity bouts where it's like, yeah, but who cares? 
and it's one of those things where you're prying for the other person to admit how much they really like you. And you almost want to hurt them to confirm that your relationship means something. Anyway, you know where that's going. Uh, there's a public display of affection. Uh, the, the classroom does not want any part of it, nor does the teacher. Teacher uh, hurts another student. One of the girls kills themselves and then haunts the school. And it is like, hey, teacher, leave those kids alone. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but I'm like, in, in one hand, I'm like, I, I really want to appreciate what this film was doing. But in the other hand, I'm like, oh, man, this was telegraphed. And uh, it's not that exciting. And the cinematography looks really good, but I'm not like very invested. I will tell you, there is one moment where the girls are put on detention and they're cleaning a pool. Yeah. Like they drain a pool and they're down there cleaning it. And uh, just the physical interaction, which they're not touching each other, but them oh. cleaning the pool and playing around. I thought that was beautiful. And that had Randy written all over it. <laughs> but I wouldn't recommend Randy. He tagged the, movie. the pool. Yeah, <laughs> in, in soap stu uh, studs. What the what? soap suds? Soap thank you, suds. Randy, Randy. Have you ever tagged uh, graffiti style anything? Never have. No, I don't believe that. I haven't. Really? Not even a bus seat. Like you're you're riding the yellow bus to school and you. No, I, I, I don't, don't know what this says about me, but I was never a bus guy. Oh, privilege. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, I've carved many a desk with uh, statements I would not agree with now. Oh, boy. <laughs> like I spelled corn incorrectly a few times on a desk in school. Oh, corn with a K? With a K. Backwards R? Backwards R. Oh, no. <laughs> Capital, too. I mean, who does that? It's just grammar. Like, Yeah, so Memento Mori. Man, you know, if, if you're out there and you're listening and you're like, you don't fucking get it, dude. Like, the impact was huge. Hey, you know what? Hit me up. Let's get together and watch it. I, I really would like a guiding hand here. And um, yeah, next week, I'm going to go. I'm doing the third one. You're going to finish it? I did think it was pretty interesting that they fall into the same problem with American franchise film where there's no connective tissue. Yeah. It's kind of like, hey, we're back here at the school, but, you know, all that other shit that happened, we're not even going to mention it. But we did. Did we not have some connective tissue with the, uh, the, the Emneyville box set? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah and no. Yeah. Like they, you know why I really like that? I think them? you had a great time with Amity. Oh, dude, I love that. But I love haunted items. That's why I still need to watch that wig movie that Randy mentioned like fucking three months ago. Yeah. What was that movie? Was it just called Wig? Uh, I think that was Bad Hair. Bad and Hair. There we go. Yeah, I got to look up that one. Hey, Chuggy, are you going to hang out after this? Maybe we should watch another movie. Well, I mean, I, I was looking forward to finishing up. Uh, yeah, we can the finish the first it. movie and watching the second, and then maybe watch the third. Well, hell no, we're not doing that trilogy. <laughs> I don't have enough coffee in this house. Then I mean, we got we got I movies to watch. I love how Russ, <laughs> Russ has very genuinely asked Charles. He's like, "Hey, you want to hang out, watch a movie?" Well, I want to finish watching the first movie I was watching. Okay, completely reasonable. Then I thought we would watch the second and the third. <laughs> Of the trilogy hey. that you had just spent a half hour talking no, no. about that you're not a well, fan I mean, of. Okay, I mean, one, uh, because of my new worry, I haven't been hanging out recently. So no, I, I was no, no. Charles, do you know how excited we are that you're here today? No, he says we. Do you know how excited he was? Charles, I miss you. He? Yes, I know. Charles doesn't believe that you're happy to see him. Charles, I love you. It's hard to tell with your glasses on. Oh. Charles, I love you. Oh, my God. That was a good reveal. <laughs> Shut the door. <laughs> um. So now, uh, I did remember another movie. That we didn't talk about. 
that has our boy Barack, Barack in it. Okay. I almost call him Barack again. You've got We're fine. 15 minutes. Let's just talk about his part in that movie. Okay. The We're, Mortuary Collection. The Mortuary Collection, which I will say is great. It's Good This job. is fun. This is great fun. Uh, Don't love the film. Whoa. I liked it a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, Ryan Spindell. Whoa. Now, here's, here's you know, I, you know why I really like the Mortuary Collection is because you know me, I love an anthology. Me too. And I think that this is a rare occasion in the field of anthologies where it's all one guy. This is yep. all Ryan Spindell's vision. So I, I think that is a pretty rare thing, right? Where we have an anthology and it's not a collaboration of filmmakers because you know most of the time with horror anthologies, we had that and this is just his vision. Now, you know what I liked? which is kind of articulating your point. I like that all the shorts were made for the movie. Yeah. Which is a, like, I, I didn't actually think about how Ryan made them all, but if they had all been different directors, but for the same idea, the same project, I'm into that. But I think you're right. Like the tone and the atmosphere does not change. Like they're all. Um, and the stories build. Yeah, they do. They do build in like the first one uh, with the woman in the bathroom. Like there's not on paper, there's not a whole lot to that. But I think that that's good. It sets the base of everything because of how the story is with the mortuary guy. Well, the wraparound. Yes. Yeah. Well, the wraparound too, but it's, I think, I think it's great. I think the structure of this is very good because as you said, the wraparound is most of the time with anthologies is sort of a second thought. Well, it's literally, it's a function where it's like, Hey, we've, we've acquired some short films from film fest that we like and, um, film in the, you know, hundred plus years it's been around. We don't know what to do with these. Yeah. So let's, you know, make up a parameter that we can house them all under. And nor like the problem is you can't build normally. Yeah. I mean, you could, I don't see a lot of examples of that though. And, um, this like, one, it, dude, Dick it was, Baby was good. You know what I liked? I like, I like the back and forth between um, the shorts we're watching are being their oral stories in the main line, but we also get reflection of the stories from the characters. So, like um, our lead over here, uh, what's her name? Do you know the actress's name? She'll hear a story. Yes, Kate Winslet. Yeah, <laughs> she <laughs> she hears the story, and then she'll. Um, critique it like a horror fan would kind of like pointing out the, the weak social commentary or the, the poor uh, plot progression. And it kind of takes the, the wind out of it from the actual audience. Yeah. I no, I, I really, I like that back and forth. So let, let's, uh, let's talk about barracks uh, segment of this. Yeah. So it opens up and he's naked. We get a full frame of his wiener again. <laughs> no, uh, man, Barrick is great in this. He plays a guy. Um, who we, it opens up, uh, as we learned is in a dream sequence, but it's a wedding. And so we see him getting married and, um, it's a nightmare scenario to where the preacher gets to the, uh, death do you part. And then some scary spooky things happen, Charles. <laughs> and then we go to, uh, he awakes from this dream and then he goes and tends to his wife that is in a comatose state. Yeah, and he has been his wife's caretaker for a very long time. He feeds her, and she's not comatose, but she cannot. She has no motor skills, no. Um, and it's she's not there. And and, and uh, his character's having a hard time with this. Is is we kind of learned from 
everything happening that this has been going on for quite some time. And so the seeds of doubt have, have been sown in his head and um, things go from there. Well, his mind starts to wander into dark territories yes. as uh, he actually begins contemplating her murder. Now, I, I don't want to say any more about the story. I just want to mention how fucking good Barrack is in it. Like watching Spell, we, we got, it's a showcase. He's not going through a lot of range though. And I well, feel as like he said, it, it's him. It's him. It's him. In this one, it's not. Not him. He's playing a character. And let me tell you something, Barrick, if you're listening, I hope it's not you. I, <laughs> I hope it's not you that's in the Mortuary Collection. For Dude. The, for the record. He's got some fucking acting chops though. I mean, he's so good in look it. Look at his IMDb. Yeah, but this felt Man's more- Man's working. No, he, he's a workhorse for sure. But this one felt more like a stage play to me, the way it was like heavily scripted, um, a smaller piece that had big emotions. And dude, he's up to the challenge. These things felt like, you know, nice little uh, Twilight Zones. For sure. Yeah. A little bit more self-aware. Randy, check out the Mortuary Collection. I think you have fun with it's it. On, it's on Shudder right now. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. There's I, also a dick baby. <laughs> also, uh, this is uh, William Spataro. Uh, I watched it. There you go. He's been pushing this movie on me for fucking months. So Again, dick baby. Also, he's not the type of dude that loves a horror film. He watches a lot of them. Doesn't like most, most also, of them. Also, by the way, you know, and so in the, in the last story, they're watching a film called The Babysitter Murders. Yeah. That's actually a short film that he wrote and directed. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of interconnective tissue there. So um, I, I think, yeah, I think Ryan Spindle is definitely someone we should uh, look into because I, I enjoy the Mortuary Collection. Yeah, it was good. All right. That wraps it up. Uh, Charles, thank you for being here. Yeah, I enjoyed it. All right. You're going to hang out and watch all these ghost stories by yourself because Russell did one thing. Chuggy, when are you going to come back on live stream? You were doing it for a minute. I'm still trying to figure out my schedule. Trying Just do it out. early. Yeah, but I was like, it, we're, if we're talking about early, that's going to be like at four in the morning. I did not that's, mean that. <laughs> that's pretty. So, okay. Just for context on why you played that, because you have a computer in front of you that normally has a mouse hooked up to it. That's currently hooked up to the soundboard. That's the, the third time you've done that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Real bad. Anyway, we're we're up against the wall. Randy's got Sundance. He doesn't want to hang out with us. Right. So Charles, thank you for being here. Randy, we'll get you off to your Sundance movie. So we'll throw it to our interview, which we just had uh, with Jordan Graham. Uh, Jordan did everything on this movie called Seder, uh, which comes out on Tuesday. So this is this interview will be available to you on Thursday. The following Tuesday, Seder will be available on iTunes and Amazon for rental. Um, so please check that out. Uh, Jordan spent, I believe he said, seven years uh, working on this. And um, it's a great story. And also, uh, we learned some things about the backstory from this film uh, that, uh, I, if you'll notice in the interview, I don't talk a whole lot, primarily based upon the fact that my flaw is a, my jaw is on the floor. Uh, and your flaw. And my flaw. There's, <laughs> man, Jordan dropped some bombs on us. Yeah, he, and, um oh. He got very personal. And uh, Jordan, if you're listening, thank you again for that, for playing ball there. This is a, a, a great film, a great story, so great good. guy. Uh, so Charles, good. do not interrupt <laughs> me anymore. <laughs> Enjoy the interview. I'll probably do it one more time. <laughs> we'll see you next week. 
Thank you for waiting, Jordan. I'm not joking. We have a friend over here uh, who people on the show may know as uh, Chuggy, who survived the mall shooting, which is uh, a, a reference that uh, Clark always stares daggers at me when I drop. Well, because you just, uh, yeah. He did an amazing feat. It was like the Matrix. He bent over backwards. He's a large dude. And those. He went to go see Spider-Man. The mall got shot up and he got stuck in the parking lot. That's what happened. It was just like the Matrix. Well, I'm glad you're alive. Yeah. Yeah. Chuggy's down there. He's okay. And he was preaching to me about cyberpunk, a game that he's been glitching out and I've been wasting many an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan, are you a big gamer or because you make movies and you're an adult, you know how to spend your time wisely? No, well, I mean, right now I'm trying to be as productive as I can, but I'm I'm obsessed with the Soulsborne series, so I I'm always putting on Dark Souls or or Bloodborne or Sekiro or yeah, that means he's hardcore. He's playing games that are made to be hard. Where now, uh, trending in video games is it's kind of like movies where you boil them down and make them as easy as possible for people. He's playing the games that are all about not being that. Yeah, no, I kind of a. Uh, um, I get this. Yeah, the the Souls games. Uh, everything else like bores me now. I feel like. <laughs> um, unless the story's really good. Like I really like the Last of Us games and uh, um, anything really by Naughty Dog for me. Uh, I, but I, I if it's story driven, um, then I'm into it. But like first person shooters, I have a, a, a hard time unless it's again story driven, and I don't play online or anything. So. I am the exact opposite type of gamer. <laughs> that's fine. I don't. I can't. The stories. I get. I don't know. That's bullshit. You play. You play. Uh, the RPG mode of Madden, which is just a terrible story. Is tar- horrible story. <laughs> horrible story. <laughs> but when I play Madden, you know, I, I'm God. You understand? I control yeah. everything. Yeah. Last that's time I like. played that with my uncle for like the first time uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, one of the Madden ones. Um, that was fun. But, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, but cool. it, so, it seems more complicated to me. I don't like. I just there's so many options. It can be very complicated, and you can run your franchise right into the ground if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my favorite thing was when you recognized a guest voice from Madden. <laughs> yeah, one, one of our former guests um, was that Vayu? Yeah. He he was in that story mode in Madden. He played the general manager of the New York Giants, and uh, he I, looked familiar when we saw him in the movie. I was like, "Wait a minute! Did he play this bit part in this video game for forty five seconds?" That's that's pretty cool, though. That's an honor. But then he said he made like a hundred bucks. <laughs> no residuals. You figured they'd throw a little bit, of, but he know. got the fame. Matt, do you understand how big these games are? No. Madden is a Madden Madden's terrible. I'm not even convinced the NFL's that big anymore. It's still big. Okay. <laughs> it's still big. The NBA's not there yet, but it's still big. I just learned that the Super Bowl was coming up. So <laughs> next week. <laughs> yeah. you know, I learned about it because we have a hard out that day because Clark's like, I'm not missing it. Yeah. Like, look, let, let's all right, look. I would love to occupy a life where I am not burdened <laughs> by something that I've been burdened with my entire life. It's just been programmed to me. I grew up in a very small town in the South. There's nothing to do but sports. So that is just <laughs> ingrained in my system. Jordan, yeah. look at what I'm dealing with here. Today we have a hard out because Randy's got to go to online Sundance. 
Next week we have a hard out because Clark's got to watch <laughs> Tom Segura report the Super Bowl. Right. Warren Sapp's going to be there. Oh my god, it's fun. All right, that's what you're dealing with today, Jordan. <laughs> okay, well we've had to move episodes because you went to a dungeon synth concert in Seattle. That's well, I called in. So yes, you did. <laughs> All right. Um, now, man, Jordan, I'm so excited to have you here. It's been a long time in the making, and oh man, I I'm kind of bummed out that we're just teasing your film. It has been a long time. Yeah, you, it's been a minute. Yeah, you want to walk through of how how Jordan I don't know, got kind on of a our radar story? Uh, you can so tell. We have, I, mean, I mean, you came from Alex Bigman, right? Like, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Alex, he was on set of another of our uh, buddies, Robbie Smith, who we name drop all the time on this damn show. Okay. He's a filmmaker out here from the East Bay. And uh, I was talking to him. What did Alex produce? He was on a movie that everybody hated. And I was like, dude, I wrote an essay about that movie for a book. The Prodigy. And uh, Oh, okay. Yeah. Everybody hated that. I, I didn't see it, it, but I know about it. Yeah, People were not fond of it. I thought it was great. And... um. Well, we talked about it on yeah. here. And uh, then he, he brought you up and he was like, hey, I got another guy uh, who I think is really talented. And, you know, he's just kind of waiting to get out there for people to digest him. And man, what an undersell. <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised that A24 didn't pick up Seder. It, you've got the chops for it. Thank you. I mean, I care enough about it. Like that's um, and I love the art form of it. So um and it was very interesting, like while making the film, because I made the film a long, I mean, started making it a long time ago. So, uh, like I was already done shooting by the time, uh, hereditary and, and, uh, the witch came out. Oh, oh really? So, and like, that was kind of, uh, kind of like the, uh, the witch that was great. When I saw the trailer for that, I'm like, Oh wow, this is great. Like, this is actually kind of like, in my wheelhouse now. And like, I want to get Seder out there quickly. And I think the trailer came out, I want to say for that, like 2015 or 16. Uh, and then, um, and then, uh, hereditary played at, at Sundance and people are like, just reading the articles being like, this is the scariest film. And then I, uh, uh, they started talking, like reading, reading about it, how it was about the Graham family, which my last name is Graham. And, uh, it's about like a grandmother dealing with spirits. And I was like, Oh no, this guy copied my, <laughs> and so I, I was going, trying to find the screenplay to that, um, before the film came out. Cause it was like really, really bothering me. Eventually I did find it and, uh, I uh, read it and luckily, I mean, it's a completely different movie than, than Seder. Um, oh, completely and, different. And, uh, I feel a lot better film than Seder. Uh, but the, um, it was, uh, yeah. So just with the art house, uh, yeah, it was, um, it's cool to kind of like be in that realm and there's people that are, are starting to, it's starting to be really appreciated now in the, in the film world. Yeah. A24, A24 is weird. Now they're they dist they're a distribution company, right, and production company, and mm -hmm. they've kind of also become a subgenre of horror. Like I, I see memes now where people are like a twenty four film, and it will have like a flow chart. Well, they of do everything. a lot of stuff outside of horror as well. I know, but like 
the horror community doesn't give a fuck. They go into cool guy shit. Yeah, we well, we know that. Like first cow, right? Was that A twenty four? I didn't see it yet, though. But um, yeah, I haven't seen it either. Yeah, and again, like, so Jordan, I'm gonna try and do my best, and not just ask you a bunch of questions about this film that we can't talk about because we're we're teasing it. Oh, are we? I mean, we could. T- I mean, might as well talk about it. I don't see why not. But um. yeah. Like, <laughs> yep, he gave you the green flag, baby. I know, but I've been, I, I've been doing been... these. I've been doing these like interview things for uh, the last week, couple weeks now, and I mean, I've been talking all about. It. I don't know when to like not talk about spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you've really reached the bottom of the barrel here, ending up on the Overlook Hour. <laughs> but but I want I want to go back uh, before we start before we move forward, Jordan. I want to go backwards. Okay. Um, and so you said that you were in. Um, You've been working on this for several years. I think IMDb says this for around six years. So, yeah. So, with all of, was most of seven years. Uh, Did you have to do any reshoots or was all this basically post production related? Um, So, like uh, the first, oh, okay. Um, Well, I mean, first I had to figure out finance. I was writing and financing and, or trying to get financing and gathering all the props and stuff uh, the first year. and then when uh, I was able to figure out how to get, how I got financing was a friend. I could, I tried doing a Kickstarter and, or a Indiegogo and that failed. And then um, I had a, a friend randomly out of the blue tell me that he uh, was down to loan me half the budget for a, per, uh, for a percentage of the film. And so uh, I'm a wedding vi- videographer. And so I, I been saving up a bit. So uh, I used the rest to, f- to finance it myself, the rest of my, or my money to finance it. To, um, and then I built the cabin in my mom's backyard, uh, which Whoa. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, cab, so the cabin was in, uh, so six blocks away from the, the beach or the ocean. So like, um, so that was the cabin wasn't in the forest at all, but yeah, so I built that and, and that was all through like donated materials and stuff. So like I, uh, um, a lot of it, uh, uh, like uh, our fence was falling down. So I tore the fence down to build the walls. Uh, the day that I started building the set that um, my neighbor was tearing up his deck. And so I, he gave me all of his wood and that's what I used for the floors. And then uh, uh, like the fireplace in there, I went up into the Santa Cruz mountains and uh, went down like a river to a, uh, like down a hill to this river and collected a bunch of river rocks, put them in a backpack and carried them up to a, uh, my truck and I went back and forth, back and forth like 30 times to do that. And just to create the fireplace, it took, it took about two months to build, to build the set cost me 1500 bucks to build the set. Wow. Mm. And then, uh, so to get to your question, then it was shooting. So, uh, yeah, I shot for 120 days. So the, the actor, uh, Adam in the film, Gabe Nicholson, he, uh, uh, I had him on a contract from, june to june so i had him for a whole year to get everything done uh so within that year i shot for 120 days um most of the days was just myself with one or two of the other actors um 10 of those days was uh i had somebody help me with doing basic tasks like uh, holding an umbrella when it rained i had to, like there's a, a shot where uh, i'm following a truck and i had somebody had to drive that truck in order for me to hang off the the hood of it and then, um, and then there was one big day at the end 
uh, or um, with a dangerous fire stunt. I don't know with spoilers, but you could s- that actually happened. That wasn't a uh, special. Whoa, I'm sorry. Really? What? We really? had an argument about that right before getting on with you. Yeah, no, that's just all that was was uh, lighter fluid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so insane. So that How was the lawsuit following. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, so the day before that, I had um, somebody. Uh, it was his idea to do it. I didn't want to do it. I was like, no, this is too dangerous. And so, yeah. So he, Correct. But then, but then I was thinking. He's like, because he he uh, he spent a long time getting that thing to grow out. Uh, seven months to grow whatever that was um, and he uh, and then he's like I want to get rid of this but I want to do it in <laughs> I want to do, do it in an epic way and I want to do this for the for the film and I said like uh, no and then I thought about it and since uh, fire is such an important theme I went back to him uh, like the day like right before and like okay we're going to do this but you're signing something to say this is all on you uh, if you get hurt you're, uh, this is this is on you and uh he did and we we tried a bunch of a bunch of times but it wasn't working because uh this thing that we were setting on fire was completely saturated uh with uh red water <laughs> and um so then i had to uh i went across the street to my neighbor's house and i was completely covered in in blood and <laughs> uh, in red water and the uh I, the neighbor opens up the door and I'm like, can I, uh, can, do you have any lighter fluid? And the first, the first thing he said was, uh, you're not setting anybody else. Or you're not setting anybody on fire. Are you? And I said, I'm not. And, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, he gave me the lighter fluid and, uh, and that took two takes. Both the takes were in there. Um, and, but, uh, uh, yeah. So the, that was the only day that I had three people help me. Um, it was for about, it was for about an hour. Uh, it was, um, that actor's wife at the time. Uh, she was, um, manning a, a blood pump. I just needed her to squeeze. I put a bunch of red water in a, um, in a, like a fire extinguisher, a pressure extinguisher thing. Yeah. And so, um, after I hooked up like a blood pump, I just had her squeeze it when I told her to. And then, uh, I had somebody there to uh, with a, a lighter and then a person with a hose. And so just put it out. And so that was, um, uh, that was my, that was our biggest day, but out of 120 days, that was three people max uh, one day. Um, so yeah, but like throughout that, like there's a lot of days I was just by myself. There was a lot of reshoots. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I could talk forever. So you'd have to probably be more specific. <laughs> yeah. Well, goddamn, have you ever seen a movie called Headhunter? I have not. Now, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend this because of any. Uh, well, shit, you like Dark Souls? A yeah. lot of people thought the movie was about Dark Souls. It's a fantasy film made by another dude named Jordan that we had on the show, who shot in a cabin in a what Peru. And it, oh, so many similar ideas couldn't be more different films. Yeah. Really? Okay. And, I'm, I'm trying to look it up right now. Uh, the Headhunter. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So that dude made that movie using like, that's more of a uh, horror comedy. Maybe okay. I'm being kind of liberal with that description, but man, you can tell like film's so collaborative. 
yet the yeah. thing that both your films have is you can tell there's a heavy auteur feeling and a very minimal crew. Yeah. And Did you say both? So I imagine you saw my Spectre film. No, I haven't. You do not need to watch that. Please don't. <laughs> it's out there. But I consider this one to be my uh my first. That that last one was um I uh so because I'm a wedding videographer and I've been doing that for 10 years now. And um but when it first started, uh Michael, the dude that um that we were talking about with that that stunt, uh yeah. he uh so we've been friends since I was uh, 13, uh, 13 years old. He was 11 years old. He's been shooting with me for, or he's been acting and with me forever. Um, and uh, when he got out of uh, college, he wanted to start some sort of business. And, and since I was doing video, he was like, oh, let's do wedding videography. And he got all this gear. And so I borrowed that gear just to go. I was like, I just want to make a, a film. Like, I'm just going to go out and do it. And, uh, it's just going to be fun. It's just going to be with my uh, friends, uh, like kind of like Seder, but I was not taking that one seriously at all. I was just like, let's just go make something and uh, spent like, uh, like a week writing the script and, um, and then went out and shot it. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't know how long it took. That was a while ago now, but, uh, but when it, when I was getting close to finished, I made a trailer for it and then had a YouTube channel post it. And then it got, um, uh, a bunch of attention from sales agents and then a sales agent, uh, one that, um, I signed with, I mean, they wanted to take it to like the American film market. And I was like, yes, I mean, that's great. Like, let's get the movie to make some money, but it's like, this kind of sucks. This is like going to be my first thing that people are going to see. And I didn't really care about this. And, um, and like, I still like the movie, like just watching the film, it's, it's like a found footage type deal, but it's just, it's silly. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's not like, I haven't watched it in probably six years, five, six years. I'm like really embarrassed by it. Um, All right, Jordan, several things. Number one, you were a young man. Like we're looking at this movie was, but, but this, we're looking at a decade here. Yeah, and I think you and I are the same age. So you're in your mid to early twenties when you made this. So you made a movie, man. So like the same thing, like with, with comedy. The thing, like when when I was doing stand up, is that you have to fail. Failure's a part. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm 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 like, yes, I know. I mean, I've been trying to make films for 21 years now. So like, uh, right, it's but, been but, nothing but like trial and error. Now so. the fortunate thing with with stand up opposed to filmmaking is that. With stand-up, you sort of fail in a vacuum. And I think that with, no, with filmmaking, yeah. it's a little bit different. Well, um, yeah, because there's evidence. Well, so I also, I was thinking about that recently, is that I feel like I'm so lucky to start making films before uh, the age of YouTube because there's really, like, uh, no evidence, really, of my stuff that I did back in high school. All the really embarrassing things that I... Trying as trying to figure out how to become a filmmaker, there's um, there's no evidence really of that online, which I'm so glad because I uh, there's like I know with like filmmakers in my area, there's people that, um, that like a lot of people go through this like phase where they um, and I went through it I think too, but this was so long ago where uh, you get your first camera and you get your first editing program you edit two things together you're so psyched that you you actually edited two clips together yeah. and then you start feeling like you are 
the master of your craft. And I've said, and I've seen people like after uh, like two months of filming stuff already doing tutorial videos online. And it's, um, uh, and I see that just in like, like my community and um, yeah, it's like, you're not, you're not ready yet. It takes, it's not <laughs> something you can just, you can like, I'm, I'm still like, I know Seder looks pretty good. Um, oh, shut up. By that point with Seder though, like I was already like, I'm very comfortable with making things pretty. Like I've spent so long making things, uh, trying to make things look good. Um, so that I went into Seder feeling pretty comfortable about that, but like, I had to completely learn how to um, deal with sound and do and do with color grading and um, and and lighting really almost too. I never I never worked with actual like real lights before before Seder. Um, and but Jordan, I think you, we would go into much scarier territory if like you finish a film and then you're content with it because then content is oh yeah that's the devil. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, I'm very, Oh no, that's definitely, I totally agree with you. And I say that too. Like if, if I ever thought that I had nothing else to offer, uh, or not necessarily that, but like, if like, Oh, that's the best I could do. Then I would be, uh, I, I would be done. Like it, tru- uh, it truly is a half and half situation. Like you always have to have some things to, you know, th- I have room for improvement in these areas, but like you should celebrate your victories and Seder's a victory, man. Thank you. Oh no. And I do like, um, I am extremely proud of what I was able to accomplish to say there's so, I mean, we can get into that later, but so much luck that went on and things that happened at just the right timing. And, uh, the, um, the experience that I had with my grandmother making this film is so invaluable to me that, and, uh, I am just, I'm blown away of what I was able to accomplish with this film. Now, as far as the film itself, like it, it, like what it is as a film. Yes. I feel like there's, I can, uh, there's a lot to grow with me as a storyteller and, um, and making things maybe a little bit more accessible to people. And, uh, but as what I was able to do, I am extremely proud of it. And again, like, I don't know what you know about the old lady that was in there. Do you know anything about the lady that's in that film? Nani character, Nani. Well, I'm going to assume that that may be your grandmother now. Yeah. Okay. So like, what do you know? Do you know anything about the, like the history of the film or anything like that? No. Uh, so. No, no, no. Walk us through it. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Seder has been part of my family since uh, 1968. So that's a real entity to my, my family. And that old lady in the film is my grandmother. Um, and so, uh, my grandmother and Seder were never supposed to be a part of this film uh, at all. Like uh, Seder didn't even come until post-production on this film. Uh, and, and then uh, my grandmother. So since of being on a budget restraint, I was like, okay, I'm going to, I built the cabin. I didn't expect the cabin to look that great. Uh, and I was like, I needed a second location and couldn't find anything to that match that. And so when I d- decided to, use my grandmother's place as the location. I was like, let's go, let's put my, I would love to put my grandmother in a scene, just one, one quick cameo. Uh, and then that'll be a great way to like memorialize her in the film. And, uh, it'll be an improvisational scene. 
So I went to uh, the actor Michael or my friend Michael and I was like, okay, we're going to do this improvisational scene. You're going to meet her on camera and I want you to talk about spirits and, and, um, because that might it, like, she's a spiritual person and that will probably get her talking. I don't know how I'm going to use this in the film at all. Just, uh, let's just see what you get out of her. And so he started talking to her and he brings up, he plays the grandson. So she's all super confused to like, who is this, this person that's pretending to be my grandson. And, um, and then when he started bringing up spirits, she started talking about, uh, the voices in her head and, uh, and how they communicated with her through something called automatic writing. And I have never, never heard about that before. Uh, it's like, uh, uh, and it's just, well, why, why haven't I heard about this? Why did she decide to share this with us or with me ever right now while we're happy to do an improvisational scene? And so I, uh, are you there? So I want to make sure you're still yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, we're, oh, no. Um, <laughs> So, uh, um, so I go home and I'm trying to do like some research in my family's past a little bit, but like, uh, um, they were all so young, uh, back then. Like my mom was, uh, 13 or uh, I want to say like 12 or 13 during that time. Uh, and so it was all kind of like a blur to them, but they, uh, I would ask like, do you have any of those like automatic writing or like, or does she have any of those automatic writings anywhere? And they said, Oh no, she burned those years ago. So, uh, but I was like, okay, this is still pretty cool. I'm going to, I have something unique here. I have something very personal and, um, uh, I need to like, this is going to make the film a lot more interesting because I never even heard of really this automatic writing stuff. So then I, uh, I spent like a week trying to figure out how to work this into, the film, uh, just, just, uh, what I already shot, but then I'd go back there with my grandmother and get more improvisational scenes and you can't tell her what to say. You can't predict anything that she's going to say. And a lot of what she says doesn't work with what the story I was already trying to tell. So I'd have to take another week break and figure out how to make it work. And this happened so many times. Now what my grandmother got, she's had, she was, uh, dealing with dementia during, um, the whole time we were shooting this film. And, uh, when I got into post-production, uh, dementia got ba too bad for her to be in that house by herself. So we put her into a care home and I was cleaning out the back, her back room, uh, like, uh, you know, the end of the, of Seder, like the very, very last shot. Um, I won't spoil it, but yeah, yeah. so, uh, that back room, I was in that back room going through her closet and, uh, I found two boxes. It was one box had um, all of her automatic writings. There was uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. All the ones that you see in that film, in the film, that's all hers. I didn't create any of those automatic writings. Um, and then there was another box and the other box was a thousand page journal documenting every single day with Seder uh, uh, for three months in 1968. And a little, like a little history of that is, um, so in 1968, uh, my grandmother got in possession of a Ouija board and uh, she uh, summoned up a whole bunch of voices. Um, a lot of them were just initials like QXS, um, ANN, there's QXI and QXI was like the evil one. And then there was Seder, who was the, the one that uh, ruled, that was the master of everybody. 
And so she, uh, she spent three months mainly with him and it got really crazy and, and a little dangerous. And uh, my grandmother ended up in a psychiatric hospital herself because of it. Now, even more into my history, I learned in this journal that my great, great grandmother had voices in her head and ended up in a psychiatric hospital. My great grandmother had voices in her head and put a shotgun in her mouth when my grandmother was four and or is either between four and six. Uh, and then uh, and then my grandmother as well. And then she ended up in a in the psychiatric hospital and um, then. Ever since then, Seder has just been kind of like a guardian. And I've always known about Seder. I've known Seder my entire life. Uh, I mean, I don't believe this in Seder, but I've known about Seder my entire life. It just is kind of like a guardian. And uh, so, but after reading all this, this journal, I was like, I wish I had this years ago because that's a movie I would love to adapt one day. I don't want to do it as like a, a horror film. Um, and I want to stay in the horror genre or this this type of kind of genre for a while but eventually i would like to adapt that i also need to stay get away from Seder. i've been dealing with him now for too long and i, I would like to come back oh, to okay yeah, jordan yeah, you hold on you, you don't want to be icarus <laughs> wait hold on first off uh thank you for sharing that yeah, and second, second of all incredible. we're gonna take a quick break no, no. <laughs> i mean goodness wait now okay so i but, but really quickly, though, just, just to finish this really quickly, is that my grandmother or uh, when I found this journal, um, I wanted to I needed to incorporate Seder into the film somehow. And so then it was a race against time because my grandmother's dementia was taking over to get her to talk about Seder. I was able to do it the first time. Uh, the first time I got her around, we talked for uh, I got everything almost I needed. But then it started getting worse over other days. And then the very last day is the very first shot of the film. And it's just that shot of her face going like uh, Seder is in charge of me, my life, me. And that took 40 minutes of me just holding the camera at her face uh, until eventually she was able to say those couple sentences. And because uh, Seder was gone at that point. So anyways, that was that's where. Uh, the history Jordan, of that. That's yeah. incredible. Um, I, there are so many things I want to say. Okay. Uh, one. Wow. Spectre was a found footage movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, and here's the thing, a little insight because found footage was bound to come up here. And yeah. it so we we do a film fest. God, it feels like an awful time to do this. We do this every time with every fucking guest. You do it every we, time. I with know. Every guest. I'm, Thank I'm, you very much. We're a team, so you're a part of it. All right, that's fair. So the unnamed footage festival is a thing that we do out here, and it's to celebrate found footage horror. We think Did I meet you? Did I meet you in person? I don't know. No, I don't think so. Maybe. Were you at Fantasia? No. Probably some other weird looking dude talking about found footage. <laughs> no, but like that, just the un, unnamed film festival. Oh, that's maybe very familiar. And I feel like I talked to you before. But. We've got, we've got some little, uh, uh, troopers out there that spread the love. Okay. But yeah, well, the whole point is just, we're trying to, um, create a community for it and kind of get rid of the stigma that the horror community puts on there. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I always say is that honestly, found footage is more of a film fan medium. Like people who buy yeah. Criterion movies probably should reevaluate found footage because really what we're celebrating in those films is the craft of filmmaking. Now, I'm not shocked that Spectre was a found footage movie because yeah. Seder is so I, I opened up with A24 and I wanted to I wanted to make a stark contrast there 
Because the problem with A24 is that they're they're very polished, very highbrow, and they tend uh, to be light on horror and very um they're, they're it's a very generic. They're trying statement. to be they're trying to be cognitive. It that's my point. Is kind of when you do it the same way all the time, it's not as exciting. Now Seder opens up in that first act. You're like, okay, this is like an A24 film. I know where I am. By act two, you're like, you know what? These movies still work. Like, even with me, I'm, I'm kind of jaded and I like to talk shit about A24, even though I love them. Yeah. I mean, the well, third I, act. I love them too. But <laughs> no, the third act, Jordan, completely different monster. Yeah. And oh, it, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, your film is unique because it's a narrative story, yet you blend media. And I love a mixed media in, in narrative form. And you, you use a different aspect ratio to have, uh, well, clearly I know now that it's, it's almost, I mean, literally home video. Well, no. And so like when you just said like found footage, that was actually literally found footage. Like I, my mom got home, sorry, another story, but uh, with this, but my mother got, uh, uh, a bunch of tapes transferred, uh, high eight tapes from Costco onto DVD. And I was just looking through them one day and not looking for anything for the movie. And I come across that flashback, the birthday flashback scene. I come across that footage from 25 years ago. I'm in there as like a little, little, little kid. And, um, it's probably way over 25 years now then. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but, um, yeah, I find I see this footage of this birthday and it's in my grandmother's house and the house looks exactly the same. And what's great is my, uh, my uh, grandmother was off to one side and my grandmother or my grandfather was off to the other side. Then you have this scene in the middle uh, that I can create my own scene. So I went out and bought the exact same high eight camera, same high eight tapes. Uh, I made a similar looking cake and similar looking presents and was able to create my own scene while incorporating that footage from, from 20 something years ago. Uh, and then I loved the, the quality of the high eight camera and uh, decided I just wanted to keep trying. I just kept shooting with it and just seeing if I can sprinkle some footage in, in there with, with the film. Have you ever, did you ever see lovely Molly? No, God, you're saying, I see so many movies that you're just saying all these films. Well, <laughs> Lovely Molly was made by Eduardo Sanchez, and it, it's a film that he made after The Blair oh, Witch. Okay. And yeah, and it's got um, a similar theme. There's a couple, and the um, the our protagonist is this young lady who stays at home alone in a rural setting. While, also, isn't there footage of a wedding? In- it, yeah, exactly. Oh, and while her, her husband is a truck driver. So he's gone for long bouts of time. And she also might have like familial uh, mental health issues, but she's also using drugs. So we have an, you know, um, we don't have a trustworthy narrator and there's blended in found footage moments. And I, it's the only other film that um, tonally I could describe matches Seder because what you get is you get a very reflective film where we don't have hardly any dialogue. Mm-hmm. We have a character who's reflecting against nature. So alone with their thoughts. Yeah. And a house can become like a dungeon when you're alone and lighting is so important. And the lighting in your film, there's, there's a shot Jordan that you have where um, we're doing like a, a German new wave thing. And you have a lot of framing where we were looking into a doorway. And yeah. uh, 
last week after we were done recording with Barrick, me and Randy were talking about that and just how that's an opportunity for an audience to think deeply about what's going on. And you have this beautiful moment where there's a wide shot. And in the left, we see a door frame with a lantern. Uh-huh. Yeah. And on the right, we have our lead with a flashlight at the front door. And as That's an my audience, favorite scenes in the whole film, actually. Dude, it's, well, as an audience, you're really, you're torn. Because it's almost like a perfect metaphor of the film, where on the left, there's a frame, and there was some horror happening in there, like a second ago. And it's got the warm lighting of a fire. Yeah. Yet on the right, we're in the present, and there's the, the harsh lighting of a flashlight, and he's also got a gun, and he's at a door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're and, kind and of... Very, and it's far, the camera's far away, and it's very quiet. I'm not cueing you with any sort of sound effect. I mean, sorry, uh, music that's going to tell you something's going to be scary, so you don't know whether something's going to get you there. Um, Dude, Jordan, now here's the thing. Fuck, man. Found footage. The the thing I love about found footage is we're we're in such a modern... We, we have generations of people growing up with film now. And a lot of the signaling from Hollywood is so intuitive that it's kind of boring. I yeah. mean, Mandalorians made a, a huge thing out of it where they can take all the tropes of the Western and play with them. And you can have like an ADD audience leave the room, come back in, still be completely invested, still catch everything that's interesting. Now, with found footage, every goddamn camera movement, every cut, every sound, diegetic or not, the lighting, everything is part of the story. And your film is the first one that I've ever seen that has a traditional narrative, not not completely. Not completely. (laughs) Dude, it's the first film that I've seen where, you know, we have a camera doing a long shot down a hallway and I was still getting like verisimilitude tingles. Like, I'm like, is this real? And I felt, I felt in part like so, uh, I don't know, elated that a film could do this, but I also felt really dumb because I'm like, no, it's not fucking real. Like, what am I five? Like I'm watching like the Ninja Turtles. I'm like, is this a real movie? But now I'm hearing it and I'm like, it sounds like you made, so just for everybody listening, Sater, you wrote, directed, you're the cinematographer, you did the audio, and half of the story is your real life. Yeah. Uh yeah. I mean, I mean, just imagine it's just basically me with a couple actors, and that's it. And then post-production was just uh all, all myself for four or five years. Um Jordan, yeah. you, you audio, wanna- audio took me so the other cool thing with audio though, and that's my most proud accomplishment, is that uh everything you hear in the film besides my grandmother speaking was completely done in post-production. So every little like every cloth, every click, uh like the lips moving was my lips pro- making that noise, the breathing. Uh it was thousands and thousands of clips, and it took me a year and four months. <laughs> what? No, no. So Clark, Clark came downstairs. I just watched the film again just uh, to prep for the interview. And he came down and he's like, you know, this took him like six years to make. And I'm like, I bet that was all the audio because dude, your audio is on point. Thank especially you. Especially for being an indie film. It's incredible. Thank you. Well, I, again, I wanted the film to be a specific quality, which is why it took me so long. And, uh, and audio was the one thing I was the least comfortable with. And, uh, and obviously, yeah, it took, that took forever. And then having to, uh, 
learn how to mix. So I learned, I mixed it in 5.1 and what was great. So one of my favorite like compliments I had on this film from a particular person is when the film was done, got accepted in the Fantasia, but I wanted to hear it in a, like a, in a professional like theater environment. And so I took the film to LA and had, uh, um, he's the, uh, got, he mixed the movie Tangerine. Oh, Oh yeah. And so I'm sitting in the room and we're, he's watching the movie and he's taking his notes and I was, I'm just like, dude, this guy's been a pro in the industry with sound for, I don't know how many years. And I am just like, what is he going to say? And, <laughs> and then, the, then the movie ended and he looks at me and he's like, do you want to get into sound design? <laughs> and I was so like, Oh my God. Uh, no, I don't, but thank you. And, um, and then, uh, the only thing that he did is because I have a uh, uh, high pitch uh, in my ears. Oh, come on, Jordan. Uh, uh, high frequency loss in my ears. So there, um, there was a, there was, I guess, some high frequencies that I couldn't hear. So he just put a filter over the whole thing that would eliminate some of the high frequencies and that's it. And so then um, I took the, then when I played it and, Fantasia that was actually seeing it in a real big theater. And I was so blown away. Like, cause I mixed the film in my room with some speakers. Uh, I mean, they're decent speakers, but like uh, nothing, nothing professional, but being able to listen to it in a, in a, in a big theater room, I was so blown away that it actually sounded that good. And I, people were telling me that that was like one of the best, uh, films that they heard or of sound at the festival so far. And I was it's just like, I can't, I was very proud of myself with that because again, that was the one aspect of this film that I went in, uh, not comfortable with at all. Um, now Jordan, again, I have, I have to give you another huge compliment. Uh, you, your sound design was, it, <sighs> It felt so inspired. You had me thinking back of my, to my first film class when we were watching The Blue Angel. And they were pointing out early sound design and how a bell tolling would address an audience and let them know what time it was without having any character need to say anything. Mm-hmm. And it subverted exposition. And I should do that on the show. I know, right? And, <laughs> and I'm watching your film. And I only could, I was trying to figure out a way to articulate the style of your sound design. And I kept thinking of Harmony Corinne. Like I always, I applaud that dude for doing um, Voice of God. Like he does a VO that will be out of time, out of narrative time with the visuals. And you kind of get like a weird human montage effect, like Mm -hmm. a, like a, like a, mm, a passing a time that isn't um, structured for a film and your film did it with audio, like just like, you know, like uh rapids in, of water or wind yeah. in trees. And it, and it all capture. I, I didn't use the, the they're very important is because I wanted this whole film to be mine. I didn't use any sound libraries. I captured every sound myself except yeah, no, but yeah, everything myself there was some music playing in the background my grandmother's scene which has a lot of meaning i didn't obviously do the music for that but i did <laughs> but i did set it up in a room and recorded the room but uh um and then the music though uh what how i used the music or um i'm not a musician but how i created the score was with pots and pans and nuts and bolts and 
Uh, I had a bass guitar with a violin bow to make some sound effects. And I got that from the Blair Witch uh, project, uh, the the credits. I love the, the credit music in that. Um, so that was a big inspiration with that. But also like having the sound be as quiet. Uh, the, oh, there's so much to unpack with that. So like uh, <laughs> with, with, with like there's not a lot of sound or a, um it was a very ambitious thing that I was going to do because I wanted uh, no talking or barely any talking in the film, uh, barely any music, not a, no uh, life of any sort, like no planes, no pe- crowds of people, no animals except for the crows in the film. So having to find a quiet, quiet area in order to record all these was this one of the reasons why it took a year and four months is just because uh, recording them was, and to keep it that quiet was, it was so incredibly difficult. Um, And yeah. So, but a big inspiration from that was also one of the scariest theater experiences that I've ever had was uh, no country for old men (laughs) because there is no, um, no music really in that film at all. And there's a drug deal scene in there and uh, the character is walking to a truck and went, and I'm so tense. And then when he opens the truck door, just the sound of the truck door would make me, made me jump in the theater. And cause there's nothing telling you when something's going to jump out. There's no, it's like, Oh, is this supposed to be scary or is this not supposed to be scary? And then you're like, yeah. So no, you you nailed it, and I, I was gonna bring up your jump scares, dude. You got a bunch of them in there, but they're not they're earned. I'm they're glad you see that because I was I was definitely uh, afraid of that and being like, oh man, people are gonna rip this movie apart with the jump scares because there are there, there's not very many, but I was not trying to make that type of film, and there were some that uh, I had in there that I cut out because it's like this is I don't want this to feel cheap and there's even like when he bangs the uh the yep the bottle cap off i'm like is that is that cheap is that a cheap jump scare so okay let's address that a cheap jump scare is a horror movie where a doorbell rings our main character goes up there's nobody there they turn around and then a cat runs out of their closet and goes like and it's like what the fuck is that that doesn't do anything for our story yeah now with with your film I think you really highlight how unnatural our character is living. Like as an audience member, you're almost begging him to talk. Yeah. And there are a couple of moments where people are talking to him and you're like, fucking say something, dude. And you're dying for it. So when you get like a big audio peak, it's, it's fucking jarring. And you're almost in like high alert. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the, that was definitely out of all the things that changed in the film. That was the one thing that I had planned before even getting into the film was that I want it to be very quiet uh, to where you have a whole film where you don't know whether something is going to jump out at you or not. And, uh, and then try to put you in much of as a trance as, as possible. Cause that's kind of like what the character is kind of going through. But um, okay. Yeah. Now I, I had to praise you for the craft and just kind of point out, um, you know, you've got a lot of the elements I love about found footage in your film, which I've never seen before. And, yeah. I feel like we we got to talk about how fucking upbeat you are. I feel like you uncovered a true, a true, like something that could be very concerning to somebody is finding um, mental health, like dating back four generations in their family. And yeah. I did it while, well, making the, 
I did it while making the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you don't even seem like affected by it. It's almost like, you well, know, not, I mean, imagine, I mean, I found that out, uh, five, uh, five years ago. So like, yeah, it's, I mean, you've lived with it a while. I've lived with it a little bit and my mind has been, I've been trying very hard to, to get into, I mean, I've written a couple scripts since then and just trying to get my mind into other things. And, and, um, yeah, so, uh, um, yeah, I've lived with it for a little bit now. I was very, it was, de- there was definitely parts when I was shooting the movie where I was like, especially the snow, not so much, I guess my, my grandmother. No, I did feel that way with my grandmother, but I just, one that I totally remember is when I was, uh, when I went to Yosemite for the one day to go, uh, or two days and shoot in the snow, uh, and being so blown away what I was capturing with the snow falling from the trees and everything. And, uh, being like, I cannot wait for people to see this. When can this movie be done? And I, that was five years ago that I shot that. So, um, <laughs> yeah. And now, it feels not even out there yet. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, we're like a week away, right? 10 uh, to 10 days. Yeah. yeah. God, Jordan, I just, I can't. So I went with my mom and we went to go see a found footage movie in the theater. Uh, it was the return at the time of M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, it was the visit. Yeah. I enjoyed that. Me too. And when I got home, my mom, well, my mom told me a story about her best friend and how her mother had sundowning, which was, you know, um, when we're old, we can get a Gordon, the Gordon Lightfoot disease. Yeah. Thank you so much. I didn't get the reference. Sundown. Okay. No, no. It's, um, Randy cut that out. Where (laughs) Where people get. Like when the sun goes down, the memory starts to go. And she told me a story of her best friend, how her mom would wake her up at three in the morning and be like, um, Hey, it's time to go to work. And she would be like, no mom, I don't, it's 3am. I don't, I'm not going to work. And if you confronted them with reality, it, they would change like on their face, just become like, like, what do you mean? Like all of a sudden, like reality, like the, uh, the wool's been ripped back. And uh, I remember just even having that weird personal interaction with my mom telling me a story. It it kind of like unnerved me. And I can only imagine how interacting on film with your grandma, because so, I mean, you're filming for your film and you're learning about your life mm-hmm. on camera. Mm-hmm. Now there's, there's a thing. Okay. So Wes Craven used to talk a lot about slashers and the uh, importance of them wearing a mask. And it would almost be like a filter with reality and it would let people do things they wouldn't normally do. Yeah. I've also heard that theory applied to found footage where you get a narrator who can film things that they couldn't confront in real life if had there been no camera. Do, do you think the camera kind of empowered you to explore your, your family history? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, uh, bec- yeah, no. No, not with the camera. I don't feel like that. Not, I mean, especially with found footage. No, I just, I feel like it was just the medium was so brought just such a cool, like texture to it and a realness to it when I was shooting with the, the height camera. Um, if that's what you're talking about, cause I was using two, I was using the, the red camera and the, the high eight camera. Um, so what I mean is like, if you had discovered this, but you weren't in the middle of a project, would you have felt the need to explore it? Yeah. Well, that's why I like, um, why I would love to adapt it 
in a future film, like, and actually tell the real full story, not something that's half fiction and half, half real. Is that answering your question? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost, I guess I'm asking if you found strength being um, propelled by a project. Um, does that make sense? I feel like if I had found something like this, there'd be a period of like reflection where I'm like, do I want to know? Like we talk, me and Clark talk about mental health all the time. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, I, like just for me, if I open the door, I feel like there's no closing it after that. And it's kind of like ignorance is bliss. You know what I mean? So oh, it's like- I, wanted, I wanted to find out as much information as I could on this. Like, um, because I went, uh, so like uh, example, when you said, do I want to know this? Uh, when we found, I know more about my family's history than my family does now. Like, because they, uh, they won't, my aunt, my uncle and my mom won't read that journal. Uh, they don't want to know. Uh, but this is, it's so like, it's so almost not my life really, because my mom was, was so little at this point that it's not, it doesn't feel like it's really directly to me. Um, my grandmother, um, and, but I was definitely trying to, uh, uncover as much information as I can. Cause that journal, there was a, a, a big gap in there, uh, because my grandmother, uh, went to a seance with this woman named Jenny and Jenny was a, a medium. And, uh, and I guess a lot of crazy shit went on at this seance, but it's all cut out from the, from the story or from her journal because, and she ended up like fighting with this Ginny character. And so she uh, got rid of it. And so I've been trying to figure out like connect pieces and talk to uh, like one aunt that's in her, she's 95 right now being like, what do you remember about this uh, certain point? Because my grandmother went uh, before she went in the psychiatric hospital, uh, she ended up uh, running away this was all took place in Tucson, Arizona. And then she ended up running away to LA because she wanted to publish this book or publish this journal and abandoned her, her family and told it, uh, she went to my, this, my 94 aunt, year old aunt. Now she went and hung out at her place, ran over there and said that my entire family, uh, died in a, in a car wreck. And, uh, and so I'm asked my aunt, like, what do you remember about this situation? Like, did, did, like, do you know about this woman, Ginny? Cause I'm trying to figure out like who this, I want to know what went on in the seance. And, uh, and then I finally found the real Ginny. I found out where she lived. I, uh, I had, I found, got her number and, uh, found out she died like a month before. What? Like, no. like, like, like a month before I start, I found that journal and started looking into it. So I was, um, so, oh, well, I guess, but, um, uh, yeah, so I've, I, I just, I find it completely fascinating and, uh, I'm trying just to, was trying to dive in as much as possible. And, and, and since like I've now I kind of put that aside and I will dive into that again eventually one day. Um, but I'm sorry. I don't even know if that's answering any of your questions. Everything you're saying is so fascinating. That I, I apologize for being quiet once in my life. <laughs> oh, <no worries. laughs> oh yeah, there is. I mean, just that that like reading that journal, like that that time was it was it, like it's such a cool. Like uh, she had so many voices in her head, and th- they would all tell her to do things, and she would let them guide her or she, uh, in a car. So she would drive a car by herself, and the voices would tell her where to go, but they would all argue with each other. 
and and my grandmother ended up getting lost in certain places and then she ended up uh uh she fell in love with Seder at one point and did something called spiritual love making and then she uh Seder ended up convincing her that she was Eve and uh that was a huge like revelation for her was when she thought she was Eve and that was like the whole second part of that book um and yeah there's a lot of a lot of things that I don't want to get too deep into because it gets a little like I don't know if I want to talk about quite yet. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, Jordan, it, thank you for being so open with this. Like, oh yeah. Also, during your film, when when you were capturing your grandma, I I couldn't help but feel like you were incredibly brave. I um I am a huge. You know what really scares me? Like for real, real mm-hmm. fucking blacked out people and mentally unstable people. And there's a thing that I feel like goes, no, there's something with your pupil. And when people are like disassociating, yeah. I can't read them. And it fucking terrifies me. And okay. I, I had an ex-girlfriend who, whose mother had uh, some mental issues. And she used to say things to me that would fucking freak me out. Like she'd just be like, oh, how was your day? Mine was good. I was feeling really bad, suicidal. But I was on the pier and a crow told me Jesus loved me. And I was just like, oh, that's that's good. That's a happy story. I know, but just the sincerity. Like right. now, now, now you brought up a story that I gotta tell you. Uh when I found the found when I decided I want to do stuff with found footage, uh I when I bought that camera, I went to my grandmother's house at like uh at 10 o'clock at night when she was getting ready for bed and was um just uh, trying to get like, you know, the credits where she's just staring off. Yeah. Uh, so that's a, uh, I went there and just set up the camera and I'm asking her uh, questions. And uh, she was saying like, um, yeah, the voices they're they're uh, they're right here. And, uh, and like, I could see them. They're just right. They're standing right by you. And then underneath the floor, and I have this on tape. I hear this oh. and I, I, I freaked out and then, uh, uh, but like trying to stay calm cause I'm trying to get this footage. And then, uh, and then she was starting to get ready for bed and then she, she goes and lays down in, in bed and I'm walking around the house just trying to get like footage of stuff around. And I go back to my grandmother and I see her sitting up. It's like all night it's pitch black in there, but I had like a little light and I see her just sitting up and I'm, and she's like zoning off and I'm like, what are you doing, Nani? And she's like, Oh, just listening to the voices. And, uh, yeah, that, um, that tripped me, that, that tripped me out. And then having like one of the other scary things is when going to that house alone, trying, because we, if we were shooting like a big scene in there, I would ha- have to, cause I put all the candles in there and, and had a fog machine. My grandmother would have freaked out. So I'd have to, I put her in a, um, uh, put her at my mom's house while I went and shot there. Then I, as I was cleaning up at like three o'clock in the morning, I had to make sure to have all the TV and everything on because that house just gives me such a, a creepy vibe. And I heard in uh, the back, back bedroom, I heard like, like it felt like it was like five shoe boxes in the closet, just tumbling. And then I ran uh, like, it took me a while to get back there and then nothing, nothing, nothing happened. Um, Oh, okay. <laughs> Jordan, Jordan, here here's my wish for you because uh, both Russell and I are in accord here, and that doesn't happen 
It happens sometimes, but it doesn't happen every day, to be honest with you. And we we both agree that you have a great future ahead of you. You're a supremely talented guy. But, Thank Jordan, you. let me tell you something. You, you need to find a team <laughs> because you're doing everything by yourself. I'm worried about your health. Oh, no, I'm never, I'm never doing it again. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> got, no, 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 no. This, is, this was a once-in-a-lifetime thing as far as doing it myself. It was – I. Uh, and wanting to do it myself to, to prove that I have some value because it's so hard to uh, get get noticed. Like I've been trying for 21 years now for the doors to open. And uh, and I don't know if like Blue, the movie Blue Ruin, do you know that movie? Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that was a huge inspiration because of learning what he, he raised off uh, the crowdfunding and that he, uh, Jeremy Saulnier, gave his, uh, um, like put his house up for, uh, or, remortgaged his house and um and just he was like i'm gonna just give it all or else i'm gonna go do something else and i was like i love that i i'm gonna do the same thing but i'm gonna still but mine is doing it myself and just prove that i can do this and uh and prove i can do it of of a certain quality and then uh but never again and hopefully people will doors will open and people will uh want to speak to me or want to work with me and it's actually like i was not expecting the type of like, there's been people that have reached out to me that I was not expecting and um, that could get projects made. So uh, I'm, I'm always cautiously optimistic. So, but uh, well, Jordan, so that hard work. Expecting to happen, but, uh, but I do feel, um, I feel good. Hopefully I can write a script good enough to, to get these people excited shut up <laughs> i feel like i've grown that's one thing i think i've grown the most is is how i want to write my grandmother's changed me in the way i want to write things i want things to be uh quite a bit more realistic uh and um yeah because if i made the script that I, I i wrote for this film seven years ago we wouldn't be having this conversation so it was definitely like it was a lot of a lot of growing to do with this um well so. look man you know all the blood, sweat, and tears that you put, poured into this thing is absolutely evident in the film, and it's finally coming out. Uh, I believe this episode will drop on Thursday, and then the film will come out the following Tuesday. So, yeah. so what kind of platforms are we looking at? How how can people watch this? It'll be on uh, uh, iTunes and Amazon Prime. Um, I don't know the other places yet. Uh, eventually, it'll move on to something else that I don't think I'm allowed to say, and then. Uh, and then it'll, we did get a, a deal with um, a, a Blu-ray. Oh, Blu-ray. thank you. So, I um, need to own it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's, if it's gone through yet, but they're, they're really interested. Uh, so I'm a, and it's like a boutique deal place. So. Um, Love I'm, a boutique. What? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I started collecting, a, started collecting boutique Blu-rays and, and 4k stuff. Uh, this while in COVID. So it's yeah. Jordan, before we cut you loose, um, what can you tell us that uh, you, you got in the works? Okay. Whatever I could tell you. Uh, I, I, okay. So it won't be long. I, I'm trying, I, I've been trying not to say too much. So my first, uh, I have two scripts. One, it took me a couple of years to write. Um, and it's a, uh, it, it's influenced by uh, the child abductions that happened in uh in Belgium in the nineties. I don't know if you ever heard of Mark Dutro, um, but that was a major, 
a major influence. Uh, and then like, uh, learning about QAnon these days. Uh, I don't, um, kind of bums me. Go on. Like it's kind of around that, but I didn't know what that was. And I, I don't want to be known as a conspiracy theorist. What if I, if I ever get a chance to make this film, uh, I don't want to be associated with that at all. But, um, but since, so that film is dealing with a, a very, uh, heavy subject matter. So I'm, I'm also writing one that's quite a bit more fun, uh, still, <laughs> still dark, but, it, but it's a lot, it's definitely a lot more fun. And that, that one, uh, is about a, um, an impossibly long shipping container and it has like a cosmic core type feel to it. God damn Whoa. it, dude. Oh, you know, my fear is, oh, man, I looked up his name. I don't want you to become a Jonathan Glazer. That's all I want. Why? You don't want me to? Uh, do you know Under the Skin was like the biggest influence on this movie? Well, I understand. And it's, you know, it's that perfectionist, obsessive beauty that you get from a, from a JG. And we only get like five films yeah, out of Yeah, but then them. we got to wait a decade in between. That's well, the yeah, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping not. Like the reason with this, this uh, shipping container one was to be a small, even though it's probably going to be massive. I mean, more, not massive, massive. I'm trying to write smaller films. Uh, but the whole idea was like, okay, well this almost the, the half the film takes place within a shipping container. Uh, <laughs> so, um, that would should be pretty cheap to make, but then it, then it goes, it has its cosmic feel to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I hope not. I, re I really hope not. Um, but, uh, However, Jordan, if if you do become a Jonathan Glazer, I don't think that's a bad thing. <laughs> well, so, well, that the, the other thing is that I, I, I'm such yes, I am such a perfectionist, and I, and I want things to look a very certain way, and um, so, uh, and like, and use as less special effects as possible, and or like CG, have everything as in camera as possible, and I'm gonna probably be pushing for that as much as possible in the future. Cause a lot of the films that just come out these days, I'm just, I'm not excited about, I'm more excited about documentaries that come out more than I am on, um, on, uh, on, uh, feature films. And so, uh, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm going to continue to, to make them as, as, as my perfectionist self as possible, I guess. <laughs> Um, they're all going to be arts. I mean, art, like not art, like not uh, this one was so, uh, Seder was so like art housey. I feel like it's almost like a racer head. Like it's, it's almost like hard to like digest certain parts and, and it's not going to be for everybody. I know that. I know that like when going into it, it's more like a film for filmmakers. Like, again, it was like my calling card type deal, but I do, I want to make films more accessible to people. Uh, boo. And, but, but it's still, it's more accessible as like that. Let's say that was my racer head next will be like hereditary or the witch or midsummer, like that type of like, or the straight story. You could go that type of David. You Lynch. know what? You know, when you were talking about Seder and not making it completely horror, mm -hmm. I, you know what movie came to mind? We showed a film at Uff called the midnight swim. Check mm -hmm. that one out. It's a, it's a in-world camera narrative. It's found footage. But it's haunting and not horror. It almost won the damn festival. It almost won. And nobody's seen it. It was made by a female director. It is the most, oh man, it almost like rips empathy out from you. And okay. Yeah, I'll check it out. 
Yeah. I'm sorry. Like a big influence for me is like going forward has been like killing the sacred deer. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like that, that's the type of horror that I'm, I'm into. Um, so I'll be staying a little bit. I'll, I'll be getting more and more away from like the jumpy scares and, and, and things possibly, uh, popping out at you. I love the atmosphere, as you can tell with, with Seder. I want to keep things creepy. I feel like I can, I can do like, I understand dread really well in an atmosphere type way. And so I want to be able to keep that going, but I want characters to actually talk. I would love to have some conversations going on in the film, uh, and future films, and uh, so um, and it is really nice writing because I wrote Seder uh, with the capabilities of my actors because I I know I've been working with them forever and I know what they're capable of. But it's really nice to be able to write and not have anybody in mind and just and not any restrictions on that except for like budget. I'm again I'm trying to write smaller films. Uh, I, dude, I love you're talking about the capability of your actors. It's like we got a quiet movie and we light one on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jordan, Jordan, you're the best, dude. I wish, uh, I, just for everybody listening, it, the film is not all dreary. Don't come in with a violin next to you ready to play. He's got a lot of humor in there, too. Do I? Oh, I get, well, but the humor is like dementia. Like, I, that's so. No, like, no, no. There is, I can tell. That you filmed a fake commercial for uh, Santa Cruz Beach Board. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I filmed that. That was actually the opening of my Spectre film. So that I filmed that a long time ago. It, like, yeah. Oh, by the way, Jordan, we will be watching Spectre. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Just so I don't, I don't right. enjoy that film, but uh, yeah, no. And then like in the other stuff in the TV, like I shot that. Like uh, that was home movies from or a, a short film that I did in high school. Uh, Cause I love having like connections like uh, that people will be able to be like, Oh yeah, that's, that's something that Jordan Graham did. Like there's signatures of mine. Well, not sing- but things that are personal to me all throughout the film. Like you'll see a, a, a there's a monkey mask in Seder. Like that's on the, uh, that's framed up in the cabin. That mask was uh, the first prop to my very first short film that got me that I made when I was 13 years old that got me wanting to actually make films. So I love putting stuff like that in my right. film. Where is that available? The short film? That's actually a found footage. It's called, uh, it's on what YouTube. It's, it's a found footage, one shot. It's so awful. It's so awful. Nope, but nope, nope. actually find that. It's called uh, uh, what, what the, what the run like hell. <laughs> um, oh, I've already seen it. I feel like I know that title. Um, <laughs> It's uh, but yeah, I made that in year 2000. Um, and my voice is all super high and it's, it's, all, it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's the very first time I ever picked up a camera and was like, Oh, we're making something. So uh, it's all one shot. And um, Jordan, dude, we love you. The found footage. We're going to, we're going to have you back on here. I, I'm warning oh, you now. Yeah. And you know, I wish I knew you had such a good sense of humor. Because we were getting so personal for a minute that I didn't drop jokes like Ginny from the block or uh, <laughs> when you said you got Ginny's number, I, I definitely wanted to say eight, six, eight, six, four, five, seven. Dude. Whatever the hell it was. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't, you could keep, I don't have a stick at my ass. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. QAnon with the Ouija board. It was all right there. Jordan, we love you. Uh, we got to let you go. This will be right. what, up Thursday, Thursday, dude. Again, amazing fucking film. I am 
I appreciate it. It's really nice to know that people are actually like enjoying it because it's definitely I, I'm when you were saying earlier about uh, being content, like uh, I now am starting to have a hard time watching the film just because I feel like I can do better now. So it is it is nice knowing that it's affecting people in a good way. Um, so Dude, Jordan, it's the only film with the traditional narrative where I was looking at beautiful imagery of a, of the forest of, of like fantasy settings where there's dual waterfalls coming in front of a cave and yet in the back of my head, I was thinking, my God, this man is out there alone. I know it. Yeah. yeah. It was terrifying. Dude. Yeah. Congratulations, man. It's amazing. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it. Now get the hell out of here. We love All you, right. Jordan. See ya. <laughs>